She's on Guinea, South Africa. She's on Guinea, South Africa. She's on Guinea, where my sofa. She's on Guinea, South Africa. She's on Guinea, South Africa. She's on Guinea, South Africa. Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Wukanyama Way to singing Sikon Sison Gain, uh, coming home to South Africa. And I played that song because we have, we're so excited. We have Dr. Uh, Zetu uh, Kakata, um, which is an American version of her name, <laughs> who is currently works as the associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of South Africa in uh, Chiswana, Pretoria, South Africa. And she is going to be presenting an exciting workshop this afternoon. She is a special guest of Dr. Patricia Nunley, who is the recently uh, nominated and um, and and uh, so she's a recent um, ABCI Association of Black Psychologists Western Regional Representative, 2019 to 2021, and uh, she's she's joining us as well. They're both with us right now in the studio, so we're really excited to have them. So good morning to both of you. Good morning, Miss Wanda. Good morning, my sister. (laughs) And (laughs) so I don't know how to pronounce the name of this workshop, so... Um, could you please do us the honor, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, 
Sister Zaitu. Okay, so it's called Ubukbeha, which is my language word for healing. So the workshop will be Ubukbeha, Healing Beyond the Western Gate. Mm, wow, so it sounds like... No, go yeah. ahead, sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say it, it, it will be looking at what Ubukbeha really means, what healing really means if we do not use the Western lens. If we do not use the way we learn to understand healing from a school's perspective. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. When you mentioned the Western gaze, I was just thinking, um, and I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see um, Toni Morrison, um, uh, the pieces that I am, uh, the film, because she talks about how her whole, her whole life of writing, she has been... Um, you know, not writing through the lens of the white gaze. That is something mm-hmm. that she's not doing. And uh, and so when when you said that, I was just thinking how, as people of African descent, um, mm-hmm. we always seek uh, either consciously or unconsciously uh, validation through the white gaze, right? Like we don't exist unless it's through a gaze, through the white gaze, because you know, like like a virus, um, you know, this particular. Uh, ideology and spiritual invasion, like like a cancer, is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that, it's like a virus, because that's how that's how I feel. It is. It's an illness on us, because mm. that's not how we look at ourselves. That's not how we know ourselves. So it's limiting in a way. I like that Tori Morrison has already said it. She's always mm-hmm. been our queen, <laughs> and also. Uh, Baba Wade Noble, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Wade Noble, he, uh, one of the founders of ABCI, he talks about intellectual incarceration. And um, that's what I've been experiencing because I'm very well Western trained. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't bold right, it just doesn't work. And so I'm excited about the opportunity to understand what what how it really is for me as an African person and other African ascent, not descent people. Um, I say mm-hmm. ascent instead of descent because Baba mm-hmm. Lawford Goddard, another one of our founders, and uh, these are our elders in the local chapter, he talks about ascending is going up, descending, going down. So I want to go up to my African self as opposed to down. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we have to, you know, sort of watch our words, right? Yes. Yeah. Mhm. Right. So, um, so give us the details about about this workshop today and who is invited. Um, I think everyone is invited, but um, there is actually a particular audience that you all are looking forward to seeing um, in the space. So, um, yes, it is. We want to create a sacred space where, yes, everyone is welcome, but we are targeting um, people who identify as part of the African diaspora, um, and we think it's a really great opportunity to get one of our continental African sisters to come and speak to us. So as um, you, you know, Sister Wanda, others may not, I am not a psychologist. I am an educator, and the Association of Black Psychologists is not just for psychologists or psychiatrists mental health workers, it is for anyone who cares about the spirit of African people. And so we consider ourselves as healers. Um, my, my medicine is education. So 
anyone is welcome that is concerned about the well-being of African diaspora people. And even you can come just if you're concerned about your own well-being. So everyone's invited, and this is a really, really exciting opportunity, as I said, to hear from a continental African sister who not is only a, who's not only a healer, but she's also an artist, which you'll find that out later. So everyone's invited. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And and so where um where and when and all that those details. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so it is today at four from four to six PM. It's at four fifty nine West MacArthur Boulevard and it's um right at MacArthur and Telegraph and there is a parking lot, um and there's also uh street parking. The event is free, um again from four to six PM at 459 West MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland, California, at the corner of Telegraph and MacArthur. It is a building there. It's a, a new building. Well, I, no, it's not new. Oh. It's newly occupied by one of our uh, practicing psychologists, our um Chapter, our local chapter president, Dr. Tony Jackson. So I'm okay. really excited about it and um, look forward to everyone showing up. And it will be, it'll start with uh, Zetu actually giving us a brief introduction on what she means by all of this, but it will, it will follow with a dialogue, an interactive dialogue. So I'm really excited about it. Mhm. Yeah. And and this um uh, uh Zetu, you you actually um presented at the recent conference, right? Um the 51st uh annual conference um of the uh Association of, of uh, Black Psychologists. And I don't remember where where the uh the conference was this year and and it was so wonderful that, you know, your sister um Dr. Nunley said, "Oh, you got to come." You know, back to the bay and and do it for our folks here. Is that is that what happened? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Because you know, the conference was in Orlando, and okay. its theme was African psychology and Afrofuturism, psychological liberation oh. and spiritual illumination. So mm. yeah, I presented the you know at the conference it's always you all have these small venues where you present and a lot of people don't get to see everything because everything is happening all at the same time. So mm. Sister Patricia said, Okay, come to Oakland and then you'll have another audience because people deserve to hear what you have to say and I was very happy for that. I'm grateful to her. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna read your bios and then we'll we'll dive right into it. Um, and I'm real excited that you're gonna share some poetry and the whole idea of the theme, you know, Afrofuturism. It's something that that theme has been since Black Panther, <laughs> and now we've got yeah. the Lion King. You just like it's everywhere. It's like what is Black Futurism yeah. through the lens of of Black psychology, right? Or African-centered mm-hmm. psychology. So I'm going to start with yes. you, uh, Dr. Patricia Nunley, because your bio is shorter. Um, <laughs> and I will just I love move it. on yes. into it. <laughs> so Dr. Patricia Nunley is the newly elected Western Regional Representative 
for the Association of Black Psychologists, or ABCI, as we already mentioned. In addition to working as an educational consultant for Nubian Consult, she is a tenure-tracked professor at the City College of San Francisco in the Child Development Department. Tenure-tracked. Doesn't that sound kind of ominous? Tenure-tracked. Um, <laughs> well, but it's actually... Um, Anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Dr. Nunley embraces classical African thought on human development and functioning in her teaching and comprehension of optimal functioning or non-Western young children. Dr. Nunley identifies herself as a healer whose medicine is education. Uh, She frequently travels to South Africa to learn more about indigenous knowledge. On one of her trips, she had the good fortune to meet Dr. Zaytu Kataka, our featured guest, and Dr. Katata is currently working as an associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of South Africa in Tasguana, Pretoria, South Africa. She, uh, she has played a significant role in the rewriting of the psychology curriculum to reflect the knowledges and understanding of human functioning of the indigenous African people. She uses her native language, um, uh, Isi Kosa. Is that how you say it? Yes. Yes. To excavate exactly uh, uh, African epistemologies, epistemologies that address the meaning of being human to Africans. I just love that whole thing about being human, you know, um, and humanity with an African face. Um, she has recently written on indigenous concepts of counseling, child development, and the importance of indigenous African languages as languages of education. Um, she has also done work on understanding indigenous names and naming practices. Uh, she's involved in a community project entitled Learning from the Elders, whose aim is to engage in conversations with the elders in order to recover languages, to cover language of human functioning. And and that is so important um, because once you don't you lose your language, then you you can't necessarily transmit certain kinds of uh, um, knowledge because there's no word for it. Um, So that's really awesome. This project will lead to the development of a glossary app of uh, ECOSA human behavioral concepts as well as a documentary featuring interviews with the elders. How close are you to, to that particular aspect of your project? Uh, I think it's going to materialize maybe later next year. Awesome, awesome. So you're going to come yes. back again like as a tour, right, and show us the movie, maybe bring some of the yes. indigenous elders that can travel with you, or at least one. <laughs> that would be really yeah, I awesome. Hope. <laughs> and Sister or, Wanda or we was can really... come to you. Hmm? Yeah. Yes. Sister Wanda, what's cool, though, I just came mm-hmm. from uh, from from her house, too. So she has a, you oh. know, so, hey, she has a nice place, mm-hmm. too, Sister Wanda, so you might want to, you know, get in on this. But <laughs> no, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah, because, um, you know, I've, I've been to Pretoria, you know, I've been to Johannesburg, um, you know, I've been in South Africa, oh. and, uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to meet you um, or any of the uh, South African brothers and sisters um, who have been presenting, you know, at the conference that I met last year, because there was like a whole lot of you all visiting, you know, for the 50th yes. anniversary. It was like, yeah, yeah. And I know, um, you know, you host ABCI um, members, you know, I don't know how long you've been going um, 
Dr. Nunley, but you've been going back and forth for a minute, and and you have like a really wonderful relationship with um, you know with your colleagues and friends there. So that's really awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to going and 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 you know and meeting you all you know in your space, like you know at the university in the community. That's going to be really awesome. And I really like it the way that um, uh, it seems as if um, you know the scholars. Uh, particularly those that are looking at um, sort of the health of mind, body, mind, body, spirit, are right there with the people. It's not like a separation, like it is a lot of times in the West. You know, like you know, the the uh, the healers are here and the people are there. It's more like it's more communal. It's like everyone is together. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. that's a special thing about it that it has it has brought everyone together. It's like a family reunion of some sorts, which I like so mm. much. Nice, mm-hmm. nice, yeah. And and you're also um a creative writer. Uh your first anthology of poetry was a finalist in the at the uh, two thousand nineteen National Institute for Human and Social Sciences uh awards. And your anth- anthology is called Twin Tongued, uh Azania Doublespeak. And you're yes. working towards the publication of your other creative works. You know, that's really cool that, um, you know, sort of what you do is, is an art form. Um, you know, you know your your uh, your research and your teaching, you know, um, like Dr. Nully talks about, you know, her medicine is education and your medicine is, is this work that we're talking about. But also, you know, there there's there's a creative aspect to both, you know, like and 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 you don't separate, you know, your your processes. It's all one process. So that's really awesome. Uh oh. Are you still there? Oh, did I lose my guess? Let me see. Oh, my guests, I just lost them. Well, they will be back. <laughs> oh, there they are. Hi. We were, having, we were having so much fun. We lost you for a sec. That's okay. <laughs> so I was wondering, um, how how do you want to start, Zaytu? Do you want to just jump right on in and talk about, you know, this this um, this work that you're doing um, and the need for it and so where where it arises? Or do you want to start with a poem and then and then talk about your your work and then come back you know give us another poem and and then meanwhile you know Dr. Nunley you know you can you know be in there talking because you know this is you know this is your friend and 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 um and it sounds like it's sort of thematically you know we're talking about the new um you know president of the national organization of uh, association of black psychologists Dr. Theophia Jackson and uh, who was the president-elect up to this year. And her theme is fortifying for the future and beyond. And it seems like the fortification has to do with us, you know, sort of being in touch with uh, our African diaspora selves, right? Yes, and um, that's very, very important because one of the conversations, one of the uh, mbongis that we had was related to Black Panther and Wakanda and the way that understand it, it, it it's hmm it is problematic in that when you allow cinematography sometimes to define mm-hmm. things for you 
there's some things that need to be interrogated. Like, like for example, and then I want to get back to my sister, um, the concept of Ubuntu. I have mm-hmm. been teaching that for a while now and teaching it thinking that I understood Ubuntu, and I really don't. And so I've been shocked in, in the fall semester when I go back. I'm going to have to correct some things. And so it is very important that when you want to embrace African knowledge, you really understand it. You also are continental blacks, us, because sometimes we don't fully grasp it. So mm-hmm. I think that, that, that all those things will come out in the conversation today at four. So I'm going to just mm-hmm. invite people to come and, and just be prepared. It's like, ooh, I thought I understood that, but maybe we don't. So I'll leave that right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um at the whole thing around Ubuntu, um, it's it's basically um people sort of lift a segment out of the of out of the whole concept. Um, because it's more than um I am because you are, it's like a whole lot deeper than that. Uh, <laughs> and um yeah. but that's all people know and that's all people hear, the abbreviated version because if you wanted to really understand it, it would take a minute. Like, and people don't have a minute mm-hmm. to sit and like, ah, oh, this is right. what this means. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Last night, um, uh, there was a really wonderful um, closing performance of the um, Ailey Camp uh, at UC Berkeley, which is um, uh, it was their 18th season, and there's a brother there who um, uh, from the continent who is like he does percussion and drumming and uh support uh for for the for the camp and he mentioned it and he also mentioned um the whole concept of the village the african village which is also an abbreviated concept in the west i mean i think was it mm-hmm. yeah somebody one of the presidents uh, oh yeah was it hillary clinton started saying that and it's like and so all you have is that little phrase and it's like well but not what it means um, so why don't we start there, um, uh, Zaytu? Why don't you why don't you start maybe with Ubuntu um, since we you know it was dropped out, uh, <laughs> and 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 maybe and then just segue into into your into your work. Okay. So with Ubuntu, it's not a concept that I fully explored myself in in, in my scholarship. But what I say about it, because I've been trying to avoid it. It's so popular right now, and it's in the hands of the people who shouldn't have it. Like, not mm-hmm. our African-American brothers and sisters, obviously, but the white people in my country. They try to appropriate it and make it what they want out of it, which is very problematic. Uh, I become happy when our sisters from the and brothers from the diaspora attempt to use this concept because I know it's from a good place. It's from a place of trying to rediscover their roots, which were just cut off from them, which is the same thing we're going through in South Africa. Even though we are in the continent, we were never uprooted. Still, our cultures were taken away from us. And we were removed from our cultures, and we are imparted with the cultures that are not ours. So with Ubuntu, I would say just go to the language of uh, of its transmission and just break down the words and see what it really means because it moves. In South Africa, they use it uh, as sort of you, you need to have compassion. So that would mean uh, a forgive and forget whatever happened. So you don't ask for reparations. You don't uh, get to 
uh, explore your wounds and how wounded you are and what you need to do about it. Mm. And that's not what Ubuntu is. Actually, Ubuntu centers the concept of justice. Is that if you've done me wrong, you need to be, you need to be brought to justice. You need to account for what you have done. So it's more about accountability than, than just merely showing compassion. So it involves a lot, a whole lot of things, which justice is the center of it. So if I've done you wrong, my sister, so. It, it is upon everybody involved in the relationship to make sure that I pay for the wrongs that I've done to you. So it's not just compassion, oh, okay, so you can do whatever you like with me and uh, I will just forgive you. Because from that you do not learn. In order to build a village or a community, you must always be willing to pay for the wrongs that you have done. And that is what Ubuntu is about an acknowledgement of another's humanity as your own humanity and also the obligation to to do what is right you are obligated to do what is right so so uh sister wanda so this is what i'm hearing mm-hmm. so restorative uh-huh. justice that's the concept that's what ubuntu is as opposed to just forgive and forget and so it was mm-hmm. very interesting to me because I, you know, also didn't fully understand it's like I am because you are, and so you're human, I'm human, so it's all good. But you have to have that justice component or else you're missing the real meaning of Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is um, with uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, when he did the uh, Truth and Reconciliation uh, after apartheid, mm-hmm. right. so it's like the all, remember everybody looked to South Africa it's like, oh, South Africa can show us how to heal race relations. And so they had something called the Truth and Reconciliation um, Commission or conference and um, mm-hmm. our tribunal. I'm not sure what the right word is. But in that, he, um, you know, he used the theme of Ubuntu, but in it, he somehow, I, I don't want to, somehow it's the, uh, the justice part was gone. It's just forgive yes, and forgive and exactly. move on restorative mm-hmm. justice and so that's why it's become problematic because it becomes the get out of jail card you know so Ubuntu mm-hmm. you know so now, now I'm good and I keep moving it's like no you need to restore the harm that you did so. yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right right and it would have been better I think if instead of just calling it truth and reconciliation hearings that um, uh, Bishop uh, Desmond Tutu would have Use the uh, the indigenous term for what the purpose was, and then people would come would have come to the space knowing what they were what they were um, participating in, uh, because you know it's been exported um, you know to Rwanda, and um, mm-hmm. and it's been twenty this is the twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, it's like wow, it's amazing twenty fifth anniversary of. Um, uh, the end of apartheid was this year. Uh, is this year, um, and uh, you know there there is um, so much further, um, you know, politically and economically um, yeah. that mm-hmm. that the country needs to go because it's not it's not all good. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we have a couple of um, one of the um, one of the South African scholars talked about. It was like, oh my, God, it was so painful. Um, talked about um, the truth and reconciliation, that that was their presentation. And mm-hmm. 
the ooh, mm, the pain, the painfulness. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, one person told the story of how um, she remembers, like, she was maybe like four or five years old, and all she could mm-hmm. remember is blue eyes and blonde hair and boots, and these boots mm-hmm. just kicking her and stomping her. And now she's an adult woman, and she can't have children because she was being stomped in the stomach. That's, mm-hmm. you know, truth and reconciliation for her. Another one talked about how, um, how was that you? That was you, sister, right, with your your Tell about how your cousins that were yes. died in prison. Yeah, so, you know, in South Africa, there are different political parties. So my, my cousin was in the Pan-African Congress. And oh, yeah. he got killed. So he was killed, I think it was in 1990. And then his mm-hmm. comrades were arrested. So they also went to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And they were not given amnesty, so they went to jail uh, because they killed some white people in a community. So they they didn't get amnesty; they were jailed for that. So they mm-hmm. eventually died. Uh, like like it was mm-hmm. already during uh, the Mandela rule when they died. So we asked, where was reconciliation, and why were they jailed? For what were they jailed? And I think that is the mm-hmm. whole problem. It's black people apologizing to white people and not forgiving. Mm-hmm. It committed crimes, yet they were defending themselves. Invaded. Mm-hmm. So that's what we don't understand. And the pain you still see uh, in South Africa mm-hmm. 25 years ago. It's as if nothing really happened. Uh, it's as if the politicians in charge at that time were merely concerned about the sensibilities of white people at the expense of the black pain, which is why you see a lot of uprisings, especially for the young, because they don't really understand. How could you say you have freedom when our condition hasn't changed, when the person who cleaned houses is still a black person, when the person who is uh, who lived uh, who lived in in what you call ghettos, it's still black people. So where is this reconciliation? And how do you reconcile things that were never reconciled? Because we, my limited understanding of English means you bring together what has been together. So to me, we were never one. With, we can't reconcile what was not reconciled before. We were never one with whiteness. It, it, mm-hmm. It's just, it's a Continuation of white domination is like this time with our permission. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. um, I found out that um, the whole concept came from Canada, and it didn't work in Canada. So it's a failed model, but that's a conversation we don't have because now you're saying they're looking to it in Rwanda, so it doesn't really work. And it's... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's so interesting when I hear the South Africans talk about why are we asking... So we're asking forgive. They ask forgiveness of people who did not ask to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then the people that were the real criminals, they never came to testify. They because they knew that if they did, they would go to prison. So so the the real demons never never you know were taken into account. They were just like sort of the lower level folks. Um, people with conscience, yep. which are African people, they were the ones testifying. I'm like, well, you know, because I watched some of the yeah. hearings, 
And, and you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, black pain. And when we were there um, for a couple of weeks um, a few years ago, my daughter said, you know, you could just, it was during a time of the um, uh, ANC's 100 centennial um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, anniversary. And my daughter was saying, you know, you could feel the pain body. I mean, it was just like so tangible. And then you read the paper yep. and there's so much, you know, violence. I mean, within the community, I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of violence against women. I mean, brutal violence, right? I mean, really <laughs> horrific. And then and then you think about and I'm thinking when you were talking about uh people confessing, it's like this apartheid is, was war. And so these yes. these people were prisoners of war. You don't have to confess. It was war. And there are different 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 laws that that sort of govern what happens in a wartime. Yeah. Like Winnie Mandela put it so well when Bishop yeah. was actually forced out an apology out of her. And she mm-hmm. in one of the interviews before her passing, I think she said, What was he doing? Forcing me to apologize for apartheid. I mean, I think that's it. That's the whole concept of truth and reconciliation, forcing people to apologize for the crimes of apartheid. As if we mm-hmm. asked to be invaded, as if it was okay to be invaded, you didn't have to retaliate. Like you're saying, it was war. What do you do in a war, especially when it's brought to your shores? If you, I mm-hmm. mean, every single person would defend themselves. So why would you apologize for five white people who died out of millions for centuries of of African people who were murdered by the mm-hmm. invaders? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that the so short. I go um, the right. We're gonna get there. Yeah. yeah. I just want to mention that there's this really wonderful film that was a part um, of um, the. Uh, it's a documentary. It's a short documentary, and it's called Winnie. And uh, it it really you know sort of gives you a really wonderful um, perspective on you know what we're talking about with regards to you know her life, and she was so maligned, right? And um, and 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 her true uh, heroism has been, you know, sort of not celebrated because, again, you know, this whiteness, right? It's sort of like you know how you go into a theater and all that stuff comes out and it looks like a cloud and you wonder what's in that? What's the chemical, right? Because it might be bad for my health. <laughs> you know, this artificial <laughs> stuff that just covers everything and before you know it, it starts out really, really kind of innocently and before you know it, it's covered the whole doggone room. Like the whole room has a white gaze, a white li- um, sort of powder. <laughs> like you can't see, you can't see anymore. Yes. It's just like you're filtering your vision is filtered through this white screen that's everywhere. Like you can't even look yes. at the person next to you anymore because that white stuff is there. So anyway. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a good analogy. Good analogy. Yeah. I think, yeah, I like that so much. Uh, no, I love that. I I'm love taking that. it in. Like, yeah, this is exactly what you've been trying to say because it transcends all fields. Education is the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's this white veil over it. You can't even think through yourself. You can't even, uh, the students are saying, we can't even relate. It doesn't really penetrate. It just ends in the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not mm-hmm. us. 
Sister Wanda is an artist too. That, that's um, why the English is so. So you guys have a way with words. That's it. That's what's going on there. That's why you like. I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> 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 yeah. well, I love it. Yeah, well, keep on going, uh, you know, Zaytu, and tell us about, about your work. Okay. Uh, so my work, like, uh, my big sister Patricia says her medicine is education. So I guess my medicine is language, and, uh, indigenous mm-hmm. languages. Because I realize, like you were saying, that um, they uh, are people and the people information didn't use Ubuntu accordingly. And I would say maybe they didn't even understand Ubuntu because we still gazing our, our concepts through, through the Western lens. So what I do is that you find out there are even elders who don't even know what this word means. So you need to go deep into like people who have an authentic grasp of the of language. So what I do is I look at how we communicate certain things. Like if we want to speak, if we, uh, uh, I, I did it with the concept of counseling. So we have this Western, uh, we, we, we learn Euro-American psychology. So we have this Western conceptualization of counseling. So I was like, so how do African people, how would they call this? And I was like, so, and then when I go to Oh, oh, um, Zaytu, you're you're kind of you're kind of um, uh, you're not super clear right at the moment. So I want to make sure that everyone hears everything you're saying. Uh, can you hear me now? Uh huh. Is it yeah. better? Yes, it's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, so I'm saying that I use language to try to understand how do we communicate what is known as psychology. With uh, Baba Noto says it's human functioning. So mm-hmm. because we are, our understanding is that every society that has produced who human beings have, should have a psychology because you should know how humans should function in the society. You should be able to analyze their behavior. So that means everybody in the world have their psychology. So why would then use only one psychology, the one that comes from Europe and America, to analyze your behavior? So I look mm-hmm. at my language to see, so how do, how did we conceptualize this? What, are, what is the vocabulary of, of our human functioning? So that's where I deal with the concepts because I found out that our entire existence in the world as African people is... Uh, around the concept of spirituality we are a spiritual people so i look at what we call so how did we call this uh spirituality like the what is our concept of healing so where you get i i am a sikosa speaker so i uh, uh, we call uh, healing then you break that word down what does it mean uh, how is it the etymology of the word how does it mean so I find that oh, it's all about one thing whenever you see that word it, it means one thing that we are a rhythmic people we are the doctors of rhythm so that's how we heal we need to touch the ground not the concrete but the, the actual soil with our bare feet we also need to we need to move with the sound, like the drums will feature, the moon will feature. So 
we are those types of people and our, uh, the western psychology doesn't do that it misdiagnoses and mistreats uh, african people because they don't understand when we behave a certain way what we're trying to communicate or what what is our spirituality trying to communicate so it's they are the psychology of pathology while ours we're trying to understand the message the spiritual messages behind it so i'd say it's um I use these languages to say, no, our languages are not only meant to communicate because how the languages, how they were trying to use indigenous languages in South Africa is that we just translate the knowledges that we've already been taught. Mm -hmm. So you merely translate Euro-American knowledges into Isikosa, Isizulu, and all other languages. But Actually, it shouldn't be the case because those languages are already communicating their own epistemologies. So why don't we use them for what they truly are? When we speak about Ubuntu, what is the epistemology behind the concept of Ubuntu? So we should teach our children that in all fields, actually. I was doing work with the field of communication just uh, last year. And uh, what I was telling them is that in the manner in which the media is run, how you communicate blackness in the media, that's what is problematic because you do not know us, you do not know blackness. So if you use the actual language, for when you communicate death uh, in an African language, even the vocabulary that is used will be different. You wouldn't say a person. I see it even with African-Americans where they would say someone is transitioned, which is, it's, its roots are very much African. We do the same. We don't speak uh, uh, about human passing as if uh, we're talking about, I don't know, in the way that they do. They would say someone so-and-so has died, or you just interview the families of, of the, bereaved, the bereaved families, the members of the bereaved families. So even in, in all fields, it applies that if you do not understand the language of the people, you, you won't know who they are. You don't bring their community to, I mean, their humanity to the center. You dehumanize them by the very language you use because our languages actually communicate our ethics within it, uh, within the words we use. We also have the ethics. This is not how, this is not how you speak to someone who has just lost a loved one. Or this is mm -hmm. not how you speak to someone who has just had a baby. So all of that is hidden in languages. So it's important that we go back to our languages to revitalize them and also use them to communicate our own theories because I believe our theories are hidden in our languages. So I'm going to uh, speak to something that um, my sister just said, and I'm going to come from an education lens. So she was saying, I'm going to just reiterate, because um, she said a lot. But one of the things she said is everyone, every culture has its own psychology. And when she went delving into um, the African cultures, uh, she discovered that the psychology, we're a people of movement, right, that we move, we connect to the soil, et cetera. So moving is normal for us. But yet in the, from the Western perspective, they say our children are kinesthetic learners. So that means we have to move, but movement then is pathologized as ADHD. But yet moving right. for us mm -hmm. is, is rhythm. So this is how, see, when we apply Western theories uh, to non-Western children, African children, you end up, this child is a problem 
because they're moving as opposed to their moving is natural and this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I remember on one of our uh, journeys, uh, Dr. Rachel Bayer Cooks and I, when we were in uh, Mary Parish, we were going around uh, looking for, trying to understand um, traditional healers, African healing. And uh, when we were in Botswana, um, ADHD all of a sudden had become a big issue. And I remember one of the women she said that I think ADHD, that's just African energy, and they're trying to take mm-hmm. the African energy out of the children. Mm-hmm. And what a different way of understanding why our children are moving. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to step back out of there, but I just wanted to, like, as an educator, I had to step in, and it's like, wow, if we understood the African way of being, we would know that it is normal to move. Mm-hmm. It is abnormal for us yeah. as a people to sit still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, um, uh, Zaytu, if you could talk a little bit more about sort of how, um, because you're you're you know you're a young woman, uh, how how you sort of came to realize that something was wrong with the lens that you had been given, you know, um, from society to view, you know, your community and your even yourself. And and when did you, how did you take off the glasses? Like what happened so that you could remove those glasses? I mean, of course, I mean the air is dirty, so you know, <laughs> with the, so so it's not like we're gonna be able to see clearly because the air is dirty. But but we know the air is dirty, so we can actually sort of apply some of that medicine on our glasses so that we can clean them, so we see a little bit better than those that think that the cataract that's on their lens is normal. Like, you know, blindness yeah. can become a norm, right? Because you, you, know, yes. you know the terrain so well yes. you don't have to see. So you think you're walking yeah. and your eyes are working and they're really not working. Mm-hmm. You just know the terrain well enough to be able to function. Yeah. So, yeah. so what happened in your life, you know, to, for you to be able to like, oh, my goodness, you hit a wall, right? Like, I didn't know yeah. that wall was there. Oh, you know, or you, you or you hurt your hand or, or you kick something. Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> you know. All right, what happens? You know, you know, like as you grow up you must go to school, right? Whether you like it mm-hmm. or not, you sort of have no choice, you must be in school. But uh, mm-hmm. I think even when I was still very young in elementary school, something wasn't right. But we had, like you said, you have to make it right. Because if you say something is not right, an African child, you'll be told you're either not smart or the fault, is, it's your fault. Something is wrong with you, not the system. So I saw a lot, of, a lot and lots of children getting sick at school, like they would really collapse and be taken home. And and it uh, it was something medically wrong. It, they would say with the children. So this continued uh, until high school was fun. Like you, I was, I don't remember questioning much. And university, at university, I found that uh, especially when I was doing my masters, that I'm interested in. When we have a project, I would choose particular topics that speak to my that speaks to my understanding of the world, but then it will turn into something else because the lens, the lens that I was using was 
are totally different. I remember one time I wanted to write about circumcision. You know, male circumcision in South Africa has a lot of patients where initiates die. And I wanted to address that. So it turned out to be something else, very Western. And uh, it became a project where I was asking why women are not involved in it. Because I I didn't have proper guidance. I didn't have. I was guided by people, uh, not if not even their fault, who who were trained in, in Western ways. I also wanted to do something on Lobola. I remember, and also that it ended up being gazed in a Western way. And then uh, yeah, you graduate, and I started working. Something wasn't feeling right. It was like no, there has to be more to me than this. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember watching a, t- a TV drama in South Africa. It was a story. It was a, an apartheid story. It was a drama series uh, post-apartheid called Molofish. And this young boy was saying to the teacher, they were teaching them history, and he just stood up and said, no, that is not how I know myself. And I think that was my aha moment, that yes, mm, that is not yes. how I understand myself. And uh, I remember I had a great-grandmother from my father's side of the family. We used to visit them over the holidays. And uh, we used to say this woman is so obsessed with language because we will listen into the radio, the radio programs such as this one. And uh, people will be discussing current issues. And my grandmother would be so angry because they were using the words inappropriately. And she would call in and correct them all the time. Without, <laughs> without <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So I think I got it from there. It just came back to me that I'm so obsessed with people using the the, the proper words correctly. So I started mm-hmm. to discover, no, this actually is deeper than just communicating that there, there, there are messages hidden in these words that uh, because i think because of how education is structured you you are taught to self-load anything that is african oh. is bad you must mm-hmm. fear anything that has african spirituality you must be very scared of it it's uh, somebody at the conference was explaining the concept of voodoo because uh, it's called voodoo it's called all these words that you can't even relate to them positively when they speak of ancestors i remember Oh, also, when I watched Shaka Zulu, remember the, uh, the drama series Shaka Zulu? It was a movie, then they made it a drama series as a child. Oh, I would be so okay. sad whenever they showed the ancestors, the images of the ancestors. It was scary, some scary images that it's like, I don't know, it's like it was, they were presented as very dark and very scary. Right, right. So I think that was deliberate in order for you to self-loathe and to fear what is yours. And then later on I realized, okay, this is my superpower. My blackness is my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> so let me use that. Yeah. Mm. Nice, yeah. nice. Wow, wow. That is really, really wonderful. Um this is not how I know myself. And for that young person yeah. to be able to, like, recognize, you know, the dissonance between how you see me and how I see myself, and I'm going to honor how I see myself because I'm the one in here. You know, like, yeah. this is my body. Yeah. You know, these are my mm-hmm. people. 
you know, I love my father mm-hmm. and my mother and my siblings and my community. Yes. So I don't know what you're yes. saying, but this is not what I'm seeing, and you're the one that's got the problem. It's like, whoa, yes. that's really what? awesome. That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so well, how is how is your scholarship received? Mm-hmm. My scholarship, I think, uh, uh, Mama, wait, uh, Mama, yes, I was speaking to her last year, and I was expressing my fears that I'm like full on doing what I want to do, and as something is me is just not apologetic about my work. And she said, no, your work is for your people. And those who shouldn't be a part of it are not supposed to. I can't remember her exact word, but it was something along those lines. Uh, uh, some people should just leave us alone and let us be. So I took that to heart. Uh, I'm happy that uh, the, like the students are very excited about the kind of work I'm doing. I think it's intended for them. After all, so they're happy, they like it. And uh, I think we are in a phase of a, of a very powerful spiritual rise. It's like we no longer care. We don't want to be someone else. We just want to be ourselves. We, just, we have been given a moment to exist for ourselves and be ourselves. So I'm just writing on that wave that this is our time to be. We've never given an opportunity to be fully authentic. So I'm happy that the students are receiving it well and other people like uh, the people outside, the elders I always speak with, they're like they're so happy. They're they're kind of like they've been waiting for this moment where they see their images in classrooms where their children would actually learn about who they are because in the past, whenever you open a book, if it's about us, you know it's something very bad. And uh, if it's about whiteness, it's a glorified um, side of whiteness. Uh, it's something to emulate. It's something. It's a standard. It's something to you have to live who you are and emulate whatever it is that is presented. So, yeah. So for this moment, I'm happy that we have a caliber of students who are actually demanding to learn about their authentic selves. So, hmm. Sister Wanda, I'm nice. thinking we're going to run out of time. We won't get uh, one of her poems in, so should we Oh, well, you all are the only, well, you're the only featured guest this morning, so, um, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm playing something that's pre-recorded next, so we're good. Um, but I wanted to mention, oh, um, but thank you okay. so much um, for, for looking at the time. I mean, I know you don't have, I mean, I don't know how much time you have. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted oh, no, to mention good. Um, good, we, we, uh, You're good? Okay um, Well I am too The show is two hours long But I'm not saying you want to be with me two hours But uh, we can go over a little bit more We can go on a little bit more okay. if you want to um, Yeah But I wanted to mention um, uh, uh, Ayikwe uh, Arma um, The wonderful author who did the book uh, The Beautiful Ones Are Not Yet Born And others And mm-hmm. and his whole um, And he um, he's uh, Ghanaian but he lives in um uh in Papangay in uh he has um he has Per Ankh, um which is like a African art retreat center and um and and his whole thing was uh translating uh like publishing African writers and also publishing them in the indigenous languages and translating books into the indigenous languages because mm. um the the books are all in um, English, French, 
you know, German, non-African mm-hmm. languages. And, and so for the most part, um, the scholarship of African people, continental African people I'm speaking of, um, is is non-existent in the original languages. Everything is translated. And so when everything is translated, you think about that whole, that white gaze, right? And you think about, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, just sort of the pollution that one has to wade through um, to get to self um, if if you can get through it. Because sometimes, you know, the 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 steam, you know, the the barriers are a little bit more um, impermeable than others. I mean, depending on where you are in your knowledge. Like, for instance, you know, you're sort of going at this, you know, with with a real keen tool. Like, you know, you you know what you're kind of, what you're up against. And even for you, I'm sure sometimes the calcification is maybe a little bit harder to break through than other times. But then, what if you are, you know, just sort of working on spirit and, and intuition, and you don't have these tools? And, and you know you're using like something really primitive, trying to like scrape away all this stuff that's between you and 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 you know the kind of indigenous um, technologies that will help your community be whole and be renewed. Um, mm-hmm. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and. And and it's really great, you know, that the grandmothers and the grandfathers are still around to be able to mine these these languages in, you know, in their original language in their original form. Because what if what if they weren't? Like you'd have to like. Yeah. I hear that a language never yeah. really dies, but it's really hard to rebirth yeah. it, you know, if it's gone. Yeah. 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 It is indeed very hard. I'd say even. Even now, with the ones that are still alive, you really have to go deep because mm. uh, our, our language was, our languages were distorted, and uh, some of what we think is our language is actually a distorted version of them, as the colonized version of them. So they're very bastardized. So you need to really do thorough work to scrape through it. It's a lot of research and going into the archives and. I'm grateful that um, uh, some people wrote in the in the early years of of colonialism in South Africa because even the language that we use that's where we get hints about how certain words were used. So I'm grateful to have people to have something to go back to, and uh, yeah, and also to have these elders to be able to help us just. To dissect these languages is is also very helpful because yeah they say languages don't die right but yeah they were there was an attempt to kill them but they refused to die so we must make use of what we have and the tools that we have in the present to make sure that we we recover all of the knowledges that our language carry even the language of healing. Uh, in indigenous language it has been distorted so much that the healing itself has lost its true meaning as as mm. become something that is uh, diluted a lot so uh, that's why i i felt it was important to start there to do or like tara work in there and also to use even some of the healers who have a gift of language to bring them to the fore and uh, help ourselves through 
bringing back our knowledges as they, as they should be used. And I think it's important, it's always been stressed that it, it will be important for us to write ourselves in our languages, to write ourselves back in our languages, and then maybe translate into other languages. I think that will help us to keep this, this, our, our languages alive. Uh, and also, I like the work that uh, the scholar you mentioned is doing of mm-hmm. of trying to translate whatever work that is there into our languages, because it is, it is also important to have this work translated, but it's not the only thing we can do. Because uh, it's important to see, I think we would understand ourselves better when we hear other voices, when we hear, like, uh, concepts such as, some of the concepts were African concepts that were obviously diluted and the spirituality of them was removed and uh, to create such disciplines as physical sciences and other natural sciences disciplines. So it will help to have those in our languages to facilitate better understanding to Africans. But while we're doing that, we also try to promote scholarship that is in our languages, that is unapologetically in our languages. And I see a lot of that coming from, especially South Africa, where people are insisting on, 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 on speaking their languages and writing in their languages. I've seen in some, not my universities because we are a distant learning university, but some contact university where the language of uh, of instruction would would be any African, it would be a mixture of English and other African languages where students would just speak their own languages in class unapologetically. So, so I think we're moving to a to a, a right direction of. We've come to a realization that successful people, uh, if you look in all nations, all successful nations are the nations that use uh, their own languages as languages of business. So if we want to be mm-hmm. successful, we should also do the same. And uh, in South Africa, for the longest time, I think for the past 25 years, we've been worried about there was this theme that English is, uh, is an international language, which is, which is a lie. Because most most nations do not have English, the English languages yet they are successful. The Swedish, the Germans, uh, the French, Italians, they all have their own languages yet they are not lacking anything. So why when we talk about Africa, they have to be accommodative of other people, uh, the people who do not accommodate them. So I think it's time now to put ourselves best if we really want to be liberated, to forget about the sensibilities of others, but uh, to really to heal ourselves because it's a form of healing as well. It's a form of rehumanizing yourself and uh, you make yourself matter in your own terms, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to I ask you, you know, um, to, to definitely share a poem, but I, before that I just wanted us to come back to the whole idea of a personhood and um and how you know we talked uh, initially about you know sort of um you know which is really beautiful you know the whole concept of of you know what it means for you know african people to um uh 
you know, part of what's a part of our, our being is that the concept of rhythm, you know, that we're moving, you know, we're not a we're not like a, a static kind of energy and, and that we also need to be connected to to the planet, like to the earth, we gotta be able to touch the ground and um and then um Doctor Nunley, how you said how that's pathologized. I mean, they actually put children on medication um because they move. Um and, and they're supposed to sit in these chairs and be regimented and be trained to work in factories. Um, and now the factory has been, um, uh, has been, uh, you know, like robots are doing it now. So, so what does mm-hmm. that mean to the whole concept of a Western education, which was set up to to create people that could work in the factories and they could respond to the bells and you know and, and do things in in these different you know sort of you know sort of time kind of ways. Um, so what does that mean? But yeah. then I was thinking about if you could maybe talk about the whole idea of the African self. And I'm thinking about, you know, um, the moon too and Bantu and, uh, you know, that, that whole, that root that has to do with how, you know, when you name something, when you give a word to something, that, that naming, that calling is sort of a, a recognition of the spirit of the thing. And and so, you know, in a lot of African cultures, you know, you don't name the baby until after you've had a chance to, like, observe the child because you don't know what the energy is, what the spirit is. And um, and so you want to call it right. And then if you don't call it, if you don't name it and the baby dies before it has a name, then the baby really, that spirit didn't really exist because it wasn't named. So I was wondering if you could talk yeah. a little bit about that a little bit. Yeah. Wait, you know what? Yeah. Before, before you go there, let me tell you how uh, um, this is related to naming. Let me tell you a funny mm-hmm. story related to me and naming. This is that the um, African-American, di- diasporic African, so badly wanting to reclaim and remember and reconnect to African. So they named me Carabo, right? I got so excited. Carabo means uh, one who brings answers. I got so excited. It's like, ooh, ooh, look how smart I am. And then I was correct. It's like, we didn't say wisdom. We said answer. So see how just that nuance in the language is so important. So it, so mm-hmm. that, so I, I mean, I'm happy that I want my African name, but I got to realize that there's, because I've been disconnected from, I don't understand all of it. And I immediately jump to, I bring wisdom as opposed mm-hmm. to answers. So in the name. Mm-hmm. You must understand mm-hmm. the language and not try to apply English on top of it because you get it all messed up. So that's mm-hmm. my little story right. of being careful. Okay. Here we go, name it. Go ahead. Oh, let me interrupt you one more second. And I was just thinking, um, sorry, I had the wrong term. It's nomo. That's the word that I was thinking oh, yeah. of. Oh. That, yeah. yeah no. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so about ADHD. It's actually very interesting. I like that you brought it up uh, because, uh, you know, children supposed to move, right? We know that. You know, mm-hmm. children like to you, you, you take a children to an open space, and they don't even ask for your permission. They do what children do. So part of colonialism was to grab land. I think the central part of them was to grab land 
So you become landless and then they cage you, they sort of cage your spirit because our pedagogy is not a cage, it's not a pedagogy of the classroom. Mm. Our children learn from outside. You go to the fields, you sit out there. I mean, a botany and uh, a, a zoology of a child who's, who has access to land is different from uh, the person who learned botany and zoology from the classroom at a later stage in their lives. An African child would know things that people who do not have learned would only learn maybe in high school or university. So what I'm trying to say is that part, what they call ADHD it's actually being a child because they want caged children so that you are this disciplined child who would listen to instruction. But we do not learn like that. We create our own instructions. We, we create our, we learn from nature. We learn with nature. That is the nature of a child to go outside and be free. So this containment of the classroom doesn't really work, especially for black children, because it's not their ontology. It's not their way of being in the world. It's not their understanding of reality. So, yeah, I think that's what the classroom does. It trains you to be a disciplined cater of oppression. But after this, they tell you when to talk, when when to go to the bathroom, when to eat, when, you know, and... Uh, our children are not those beings. Uh, they they don't get told when to do things. They just know. They work with nature, and uh, I think that is the mis that that is the disconnect between this education and that. And also, you asked about the importance of naming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, that is very critical because, like you're saying, we, I like what you said, that we call things, we call it for what it is. So it's, it's sort of a calling to be to or to be given a particular name and uh, 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 we're calling a particular spirit into existence. So it's uh, 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 our naming practices have a lot to do with uh, our spirituality. That is why even the way in which we name... Uh, the, the other practices besides personal names, like how we name certain practices of healing, how we name things that we do, because we believe everything contains a spirit, so we must call it appropriately. Uh, so it becomes very, very important to understand why things are called, what they are called, what messages are they communicating, what spiritual messages are they communicating to us. Uh, and... Uh, they actually speak to our our sense of being human in the world because that brings that to the fore. That is why you would never find uh, before colonization and apartheid in, in Africa, you would never find people naming rivers after human beings because rivers and mountains and, 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 and maybe villages they all have uh, a history to tell. They all have a spiritual significance to their people. And it can't belong to an individual. An individual cannot be a hero of something bigger, such as a river, something mm-hmm. a spiritual, of spiritual significance, such as a river. So we, even with, uh, you remind me of something very critical, even as we, as as we restore ourselves, as we come back to ourselves now, it's important that we still we remove the Western gaze because now I was expressing this at my university with the naming. 
with the renaming of buildings and everything, we still are using that Western gaze into giving names to buildings. Because now you find there are buildings named, we want Mm -hmm. our buildings to be named Winnie Mandela, we want our buildings to be named Steve Vico. And that is not African to us. We name buildings accordingly, according to the spiritual meaning they, they hold. And uh, mm-hmm. especially, the, we also need to remember the conditions under which these buildings were came into existence because if they were built out of slave, slave labor, our, our forebears were, were dying while building those structures. And also, they are built on, on colonized land, on stolen land. So we don't even have permission to be on those sites. Like my university is on a mountain, which actually bothers me every day. And uh, now we want, we are saying we are reclaiming the mountain. It's right we, we can le- reclaim the buildings because they are actually built by our parents. But what I'm trying to say is that the roots of those buildings is standing on the blood because mm-hmm. people were forcefully removed, were killed to to not to be on that mountain. And we do not know the spiritual significance of that mountain. So mm. as we are trying to do this restorative work, it's important that we also remove the Western gaze, that Western fog, you were saying, this white powder that's all over us because we still use their own tools to name. We mm. still name in the way that they are naming, which doesn't help us at all. You know, uh, um, uh, mm. let's go back to nature and naming. Um, My daughter and I just had an opportunity to go see one of the natural wonders of the world. They said the name of it is Victoria Falls, and it was Mm -hmm. named after their illustrious queen. That's not the right name, and that's an example of going in and giving a person name. I'm going to say, I'm going to let you say it's O.C., it's Mosiwa. Mo- on our Wait. Yeah. It, 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 it's an it's, African name, and just like um, and I'm gonna go get it. In, get get the name in a minute. But also, like we went to um, I got to a couple of years ago. I got to go camping in what they called um the Drakensberg Mountains, and that's not yes. the correct name. There's another yes. the African name. It's Intabayokasamba. It's a a mountain that startles. It means that, so you find that there was this, we call it a denaming, because by removing uh, the original name of those places and replacing them with their their own colonial names, especially the British, they were trying to dename us. It's like when you no longer have that name, it's like you never existed on that site. So it's, you are denaming, and uh, denaming comes with despiritualization because they are removing the spirit that name was carrying. So we have all of those problems. And uh, they, I come from the Eastern Cape, the Eastern part of South Africa, where wherever you go, also the Victoria Falls is mostly Watunya. Yeah, so in the Eastern Cape, you find that everything is named after the royal family. We have King Williamstown, which is uh, 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 the town of my origin. We have all of these, and the many forts, like Fort Hare, Fort Hare. And they were, they were labeling their triumphs. It's, uh, it's, 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 
it's a very audacious thing to do actually mm-hmm. all of their triumphs uh we see them on the streets uh in towns and wherever like uh, someone was saying uh wherever you see fort uh, something that has a fort in it it means that their soldiers had settled there they built their military forts there so they left their labels there and forget and these places had their own original names which carried the spirit of the people who occupied those lands. Mm-hmm. See, that's very yeah. interesting yeah. because you, you uh, again, this is us not still looking at things through a colonial lens, where it's like, okay, we're going to take it over. It was black, and we're going to name it after a black hero instead of after a spirit. Because if we're spirit people and we want to go back to original, it should be its nature, its essence, not Patricia, because she black and she was here. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're just kind of replacing the wrong whiteness with wrong blackness. Kind of, I can't. You artists can say it in a more articulate way, (laughs) but it's like we're missing it too. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, I want to I want to ask you a clarifying question um about about uh say too about the uh, the university. You said that um your your grandparents, your ancestors built the university. So, um is this a university that is a part of uh, a state system um or is it an independent um uh institution of higher education? Um tell us a little bit about about the uh the institution that you're a part of. Uh, let me clarify. I'm not. I don't mean my my biological grandparents. Yeah. I mean the African mm-hmm. people who built here. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, I understood that part. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> I meant I meant African people. Yeah, I knew. I didn't think it was your personal. Uh, yeah, but I mean that because as opposed to being built by Afrikaners or the colonial system, um, the these buildings yeah. have a. A mm-hmm. deeper history, even if they were built, you know, while being occupied. Yeah. Just similar to, yeah. the, you know, the White House was built by African people, right? When they were enslaved, yes. it wasn't like they got a contract, yes. you know. Um, yes. And I don't know Benjamin Banneker when he laid out the city of D.C. You know, was was he a free man when he did that, um, or was mm-hmm. he working oh, yeah. for somebody? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good point. Yes. Yeah, so that is the university I work for. It's sort of a state. It's not a private university. It's a public university. Okay. So it's a mm-hmm. state university, uh, but it's it's open. It's open distance learning, so it's open to students from all over the African continent. You don't have to be South African to attend it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. But now, how long have you been there? I would like for her to go back. A system wanted to let her go back and explain under apartheid there was something called the Bantu education system. And then can you explain? Because South Africa, the beauty of South Africa, the it, it mirrors so much the African American experience here. And and mm-hmm. so um, I would love for her to explain how the Bantu education system, and then um, how after apartheid it all got integrated. Uh, hold on, can, can, just just one second. Um, but uh, we we have Baba Way, Baba Way. Yes. Um, hi, we're on the air right now. We're recording, and um, 
thank you for joining us. The reason I wanted to invite you in, I'm sorry for like switching subjects here back. We're talking about the importance of naming things correctly, and you are continuing to talk about language and logic. And there, for example, the the new. Um, can you tell about the new, um, the new project that ABCI is working on, and how you've named renamed the healers to something different? And I just wanted you to, because I wanted to do it right, and thought so that's why I invited you in. So thank you so much. And so, hey, Baba. <laughs> uh, well, before Wanda? before you start, no, uh, Baba Nobles, I just wanted to give you the greetings. So, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah. It's, been, it's a real pleasure. And and Zetu is here too. So we're hey. all on air with Wanda, and and we just kind of we're stepping into an area that you know better than me, and I didn't want to, you know. I can't do it incorrectly. Okay, well, just let me make a point that uh, this is ancestral because I didn't realize I was responding to your call to be on the air. I was calling you because Mama Zara wanted to speak to Setsu. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So I did did not know I was being summoned to talk on the the show. (laughs) But, 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 But... but the ancestors work that way, and let me just quickly say that that our restoration as African people, in terms of wellness and healing, requires us begin mm-hmm. to interrogate African language and logic, because right. the Western model does not provide us with the right kind of insight. And the example I'm the example I use now is that as we are working with this uh, therapist and residency program for the Bay Area chapter that is supported by the California uh, Endowment, uh, we've been looking at the fact that if we look at the, the way we refer to our uh, healing is that we make the therapist one thing and the client another thing as separate entities, sometimes in opposition to each other. And so by embracing African language, and, I'm, and I use uh, through Mama Vera, who, who's my personal linguist, I use the term uh, Bwana Mboti, and Bwana mm-hmm. Mboti means the child of my ancestors. Hey, so rather, yeah. than call, rather than call someone my client, I'm going to refer to them as the child of my ancestors. Yeah. That gives me a whole different relationship and responsibility for the, restoring their wellness. Uh, and rather Rather than call myself a therapist, I'm proposing that we use the term Nganga, and Nganga is a term that means one who is, understands both the visible and the invisible realm and is, and is required to heal the person, the family, and the community. So in our therapist and residency program, we are encouraging our interns to see themselves as Ngangas one is going to deal with both the invisible and the visible realm and mm-hmm. refer to their formerly called clients or patients as Bwana Mboti, the mm-hmm. child of my ancestors. And mm-hmm. you just those two terms and think about how that shifts the paradigm, shifts mm-hmm. the, the way we refer to the healing process. Now, in um, uh, uh, in Layla in, in, in Kizi in South Africa, and I are now publishing a new article that's coming out in the Alternation Journal where we identify almost 50 odd, 50 plus African language terms 
And we're saying we should be building our curriculum around in terms of how do we develop curriculum for uh, educating and training the next generation of healers and therapists. Mm-hmm. That's my contribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sister Wanda, now, now you got that. So, language and logic, and yeah, so that's okay. So, <laughs> thank you, Baba. And thank you so much. As you all think about, as you all think about this, every term, every language word has a logic about human relations embedded in yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Every word has a logic tied to it in terms of what the meaning of the relationship should be. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what we're encouraging as Saku as, Shetis, formerly known as black psychologists, to begin to embrace and, and, and adopt African language and logic in our work. And see, and that steps right back to what Sister Setsu, this is why she's on the air today, talking about um, the etymology of the, the importance of reclaiming, recapturing the language. And she, her work, she's doing it by going and talking to the elders to find out because they still know they haven't got, wait, since Baba Wait, infected by Western <laughs> knowledge. That um, that ideological incarceration that I suffer from, and I'm always trying to shake them shackles off. That's why I got to hang around Sister Zetsu, sit at the feet of my elders that are African, like Baba Wave, Mama Vera, you know, so that I can get that infection off of me. Although I'm seeing you track, so that means that I know, I know how to do the Western thing, but I have an obligation to my people to understand what's best for my people. Mm-hmm. And, if, and, and now, as I get off the line here, I want to point out that our ancestors are moving through us. Yeah. So, 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 so we're getting we're getting guidance from the invisible realm because mm-hmm. we're now strong enough to accept it and don't be contaminated by the Western notion of ghosts and boogeymen and spooks. Those <laughs> ancestors are living beings that are now helping us to restore our own wellness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to hang up now. Wait, wait, before you go, it's so funny that Sister Zetsu was talking about Shaka Zulu and how she looked at that documentary, and it was scary, spooky. The ancestors were these spooky, spooky things, and Badoon. And then here you talk about the same thing and how she came to understand. Hey, man, my 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 people are not scary; they're my people. And how that thing that's. Yeah. But but the whole brainwashing on us is to make us afraid of our own selves. Yes. Mm-hmm. And ashamed of our own selves. So we so we look we look for wellness, look for goodness, we go anywhere but to Africa. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, sit, we sit with the Indians, we sit with the Buddha, we sit with everybody but Africa. Because yes. we are mm-hmm. taught to be afraid of anything African. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. we want people to come today for clock. You're invited to understand that don't be afraid of us. We are the answer for us. We have it, and that's what Sister Zetsu is going to be talking about today. So just to come back. Okay, so when you all get finished, make sure you call us back for for the other reason why I called. Okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. (laughs) Have a good program. Have a good program. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Peace. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was a special treat. You got the hookup, Sister Patricia. (laughs) 
That is so awesome. Wow, wow. The ancestors are really with us in this conversation, aren't they? Yeah, wow, wow. So our, um, before before we um, sort of continue our conversation, um, it's, it feels like now is a good time for a poem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna read the poem called "Seeds Scattered and Foreign Soil." I guess it's all of us. Seeds scattered and foreign soil. May you bet hearts braver than you ever were, wiser than you became, and more beautiful than your flowing face. Seeds scattered and foreign soil. May the ground on which you fell not be barren. May it bed igniters of raging fires. Seeds scattered on foreign soil. May your roots grow into giant trees and bear unexpected fruit of lava of lovers in our glorious land. Thank you. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. I tell me again the name of it. Um, I wasn't certain if I if I was if I heard it correctly. Uh, it's seeds scattered on foreign soil. Skeets, and, and seeds scattered on foreign soil. Hmm. Um, yeah. Didn't the whole, I'm going to continue it for her. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, is, that mm-hmm. is this one? Yeah. Oh, this is different, but it's related. Another. So, so can I read this one for her? Okay. This one says, come back to the land of your father's birth. We yearn for tales of his young life as a soldier and proud son of his land, seeds scattered on foreign soil. We yearn for your father's image. Show faith so we can take turns, analyzing every feature, that little nose, those bright eyes, a memory of our dear brother, seeds scattered on foreign soil are only linked to that young, brave soul, forced out of home at midnight, for that's all we can tell of his journey. Thank you. Hmm. Oh, wow, that's really beautiful, and it's just perfect. Seeds scattered on foreign soil. That is that is the African diaspora. That's how we got spread out, right? And then, mm-hmm. And then for those that weren't spread all over the place, you all were like under house arrest. Um, yes. You know, uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny when when well not funny. I um. Uh, it was telling. I'm trying to learn mm. to use my language in logical ways that are that honor the spirit. When uh, Dr. Rachel and um, myself and Mary Parrish, when we went on our journey to find African healers, uh, mm-hmm. Baba Bunsu who is a Sangoma in South Africa in a black township called Jeffy Town, when he introduced mm-hmm. us, he introduced us in a way that still um, stays, resonates with me. He said, mm-hmm. let's welcome our incarcerated sisters from the United mm-hmm. Snakes of America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Incarcerated. I'm, I'm like, woo. hmm Yeah, yeah. That is so right. descriptive of the situation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Because um, a friend of mine who um, was 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 locked up, you know, for in solitary confinement um, for um, for twenty nine years, um, mm. and uh, you know, his body for thirty one. Um, uh, Robert uh, Robert King, um, one of the uh, members of the Angola Three. Yeah, he said that we're all under sort of minimum custody, like we're all locked up. There, There's no such thing yeah. as freedom, you know, in, in this Western yeah. uh, paradigm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're locked yeah. up. I mean, you know, we think we have, you know, this, uh, you know, the um, uh, these different rights, you know, because of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. It's like, mm-mm. You know, they've been amended so yeah. much. <laughs> like, have you checked yeah, recently? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then and, so and then when you know when when the uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and then when you think about you know how how the black body has been so criminalized, right? And you know Eric Gardner's killer, you know, is walking free. You know that's the recent um, insult mm-hmm. to justice. Mm-hmm. Just two weeks ago, yeah. you know that guy was found innocent of of choking that brother to death. Wow. Mhm. Yeah, so physical incarceration, ideological incarceration, and Mm -hmm. we don't have to be spiritually incarcerated, but it's a journey that we have to, it's a journey, it's a journey, and I'm, and I'm thankful that I'm on that journey, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's really great, you know, that, that you are um, an educator and that you are, you know, you have access, um, you know, um, Sister uh, Patricia, to be able to, um, you know, you you know the community, and you know our people, and you know that, um, you know the kind of medicine, you know that our our sister uh, scholar is 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 um is is working on, you know, and using in in South Africa, is also useful here in Oakland, you know, in Alameda County, yes. because I mean Alameda County, you know, you walk around and you see how many people, how normal how how being unhoused has been normalized. And you know the people who are mostly unhoused are people that are people of African descent and people that are poor. And, um, and you know, and there, it, it's just like, it's a, I mean, can you, I mean, like just last year it didn't look like this. The year before it didn't look like this. Now it's, mm-hmm. people are living in tents on the ground. People are living in doorways. Mm-hmm. People are in, you know their pillows are are cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know it's like what? What? Hmm. what was was very interesting in even in that um, this arrogance that we have as diasporic mm-hmm. African people, African Americans. Because I want Sister Zetu to tell you the story. Uh, what that was you right mm-hmm. about some um, some unhoused black people? What they said to you? Mm-hmm. Remember when they found that you uh, from Africa? Tell that story. Uh, so when we came last year for the exercise here in Auckland, I met a homeless man here and we started talking. We, I was waiting for my shuttle. And he he was like, oh, you're from Africa. Oh, I will take you out tomorrow. Are you available for that? And I found it very odd because... I don't know. I couldn't reconcile uh, that he's homeless and still would be able to take me out. And I, I started to wonder, how is he looking at me? 
especially that came after I said I come from Africa. Because his image of Africa, um, Zephyr, I don't mean to tell her business, but she has a beautiful home, you know, a large mm-hmm. and a, a swimming pool. And But yet mm-hmm. in his mind, when it, Africa, it's like, oh, okay, you live in a jungle, a forest, let me show you, you know, let me show you the U.S. And even the U.S. Ah. from his lens had to be better than where you come from in Africa. And yet that is not mm-hmm. the case. Do, do you know do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I just was very interested yeah. in our um, mm-hmm. concept of this country. Africa is not a country, y'all. Not this, <laughs> with this country or this city, this little city we call Africa. It's yeah. like it's very, it's really, really. I don't know. I guess that mm-hmm. that white fog. That here we go again with your yeah. stuff. That is mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's also it's something that you would find also in South Africa because. When you say you're from a rural area somewhere and you're speaking to mm-hmm. someone in, in, in the town, they will immediately think that you are lesser, they are better, even though their conditions are like, yeah, you're not living, you're not even, li- you're living, you're even living better than them, yet they think for the fact that you're coming from, I guess what Baba Wade was saying, that the more African you are is, is, Mm-hmm. You represent something that is very primitive. That is very. It's a representation of suffering and all of of poverty, inferiority. inferiority. Mm-hmm. So you would find a person who really should be asking help from you, trying to tell you how to help you. You yes. know. That was a good way to describe that experience. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to just pop in this this uh, historic. Um, uh, event which which you might be aware of, um, uh, Dr. Nunley. Um, it was uh, called the Greensboro Massacre, and it was uh, around the same time as the beginning of the Iran hostage crisis. And um, it was uh, 1979, and um, it was a time when um, uh, there were like there was a protest, and these people were 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 killed. Um, you know, like a lot of people were killed, and 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 it was like basically the first, um, uh, I guess, um, even it was the first, I think, um, successful um, um, iteration of of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and hearing um, in this country, um, and uh, and again, like it involved um, the Communist uh, Workers Party. Uh, clash with um, the Ku Klux Klan, and I was wondering. Uh, and so I was just thinking about that. Um, did you all know about that? I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, go ahead. I, you know what I'm doing? I, I, I sort of remember it, but I was mm-hmm. thinking of Black Wall Street, so I had the wrong. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was just um, thinking um, that you might want to look that up. Um, uh, uh, sister um that that um because um you might um you know um it's it's conversant with um with the um uh i think it predates it uh, what happened in um in south africa and then you know rwanda yeah. and i don't know if there've been other iterations but i know with the international court the uh, the whole idea of having mm-hmm. a truth and reconciliation kind of process has been exported. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and, and yeah. I really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
This has been such a wonderful conversation, and um, wow, I'm really, really looking forward to the publication of your book. I just really, I was thinking, oh, I want to read more of your poems, um, Seeds Scattered on Foreign Soil. Um, And thank you so much, Dr. Nunley, for finishing the poem, because, yeah, we wanted all of it. And I definitely want you to do one more poem before we conclude. So so closing thoughts um, from both of you um, around... um, Sort of, you know, the importance of of um, you know, of our um, realizing the value of of our indigenous experiences unfiltered, and how the how it's important to get back to that self. Um, like, and it, and it has to be a conscious movement because there, you know, it's not it's not necessarily something that um, sort of the dominant cultures are saying, oh, you all need to get back to your, your, your people. Like, you know, you need to talk to your ancestors more. You need to, like, sort of look at some of those practices that allowed you to be here presently. Like, because if it wasn't for our ancestors and from those indigenous technologies, we would not be here. But we, no matter what happens to us, for some reason, we keep on, like, rising, you know, and and like you mentioned that you know your blackness is your superpower, <laughs> right? Yeah, I love this. And and um, there's this funny story that when I was at the um, Berkeley flea market, um, mm-hmm. no, excuse me, Ashton Ashton flea market, I ran into um, an elder, and she just it was something beautiful about her. So I really wanted to talk to her, and she said to me, "Baby, let me tell you something. Um, even if the whole world ends." There's two things that's still going to be. And I said, what is that, ma'am? And she said, cockroaches and black women. We're going to always be here. And I said, wow. So that was so interesting. And she just meant that from the depths of her soul. So mm-hmm. um, my closing thought is um, that um, as an early childhood educator, one of our primary task is to assist children in um, in learning who they are in identity development and the western way says that um, it's self you know who you got to learn who you are as an individual and then later on you learn your group self that you who you are in in in, in the membership of a group so that is not African African is something that uh, Baba Wade and uh, Naeem Akbar, Baba Naeem, talk about the and others, the extended self, that we are not just one. So we're not self, we're an extended self. And you don't have to figure out who you, the membership, who you belong to, the group you belong to. You already belong. You come belonging. And so your role is, now this is as an individual, your role is to find out what your individual purpose is to help the group. So it's not this this me to help me. It's me to help my group. And so it's not a self. It's an extended self. And my group membership is already established. It's just what is my role in um, building, you know, in strengthening my group. And so I'm really enjoying um, the fact that I have the resources, the blessings, et cetera, to have a South African family and other, you know, and others. Uh, when we were at the conference, there's Canadian Africans, there's UK Africans, there's from Cuba, um, um, Ghana, et cetera. I mean, just, just all kind of those, those were some of the countries 
that were and continents that were represented at the conference. So I'm really fortunate. I'm excited about my new role as the um, the Western Region Chair. And my goal, one of my things that I want to do is to strengthen the connection we have with our um, non-European, um, excuse me, our, our our brothers and sisters in the other diaspora and on the continent of Africa. So I'm really excited. So that's my what I have to say in closing, and I think my sister's ready with her poem. But she may want to have some words. <laughs> okay, thanks, Sister Wanda, so much. I appreciate you having us here. It always feels like coming home when I come to Oakland. Mm. Um, yeah, so. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'm going to read this poem in closing. It's called Babies in the Future. Mm-hmm. So babies in the future, raised to never learn the secrets of who they are, who their parents were, and who their children should be. Babies in the future, thrown into the wilderness by the fruits of our ignorance, mm-hmm. pine for the truth their parents wouldn't tell about themselves that they were denied. Babies in the future yearn for an unknown familiarity. They are born hungry and will die thirsty. Thank you. Mm. Nice. So when's that book going to be available? <laughs> We're looking at it now. This, this book is available already. It's the second one that oh. must still come. Yes. So, so oh. um, she only has, so, so she sold a lot of copies at the conference. But she still oh. has four left. And, of course, oh. um, Sister Wanda, we're going to you get one. But the other, you oh, know, um, we're going to take orders for others. But she will have, mm-hmm. because we've just given you one, she'll have three for sale at the mm-hmm. workshop. And then we'll take mm-hmm. orders for more. But we got you, Sister Wanda. We got you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm really looking forward, um, you know, to and your um, your workshop today. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's going to be so wonderful, uh, Dr. Zetu Kakata. And thank you so much, Dr. Mm-hmm. Um, Patricia Nunley, for, wow, just being the wonderful woman you are. You know, it's just uh, when I saw that you were now the ABCI Western Regional Representative, you know, through 2021, I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, with, um, you know, Dr. Theopia, Theopia Jackson. Oh, my gosh, like these two dynamo women and African women, African diaspora women, and, and you like, you're here on the West Coast with us, right? So it's like, whoa. Yes. How it yes. just blows it, and, and you then what? you know, and then Doctor Doctor T, you know, he was, you know, his, you know, his his uh, tenure was really awesome too, like bringing the medicine to the people on the street. Like, I mean, it was like, mm-hmm. it was like something I had never seen with the organization before his tenure. Like seriously, like you right. know, when people were right. were lost their homes through fire, like let's get the team together and go, mm-hmm. med- you know, go go, you know, go. Um, mm-hmm you know, provide medical services, you know, mental health services to the people and, you know, get getting the yeah. trainings to the lay folks so that they can be, you know, be spiritual respondents. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just wonderful mm-hmm. stuff. And he's referring to wonderful. Dr. Tony Jackson. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Tony Jackson, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's our local yeah. chapter president. Dr. The Jay, yeah. Where his, um, where his, uh, his, his work is housed. So, 
So mm-hmm. you'll get to see more of that today. So I'm really excited. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And and lastly, I was wondering, I remember um, there was like a book published, a little like um, book, a go-to for people that were looking for service by um, people of African descent practitioners around mental health services. And I was wondering, is that pamphlet, is that directory, is it still available? Has it been updated? And how can people get it? Because people are always asking for uh, African-centered therapists. Um, people that sort of so, so, are are trained to treat our people, and and have that kind of sensibility, and, you know, and not like sort of. Hmm? I, um, so I have to talk to Dr. Jackson. I know what you're referring to, so I don't want to give okay. uh, misinformation, wrong information. Mm-hmm. So I will find mm-hmm. that out um, from Doc, Dr. Jackson. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So sorry, okay. I, I can't speak to that for sure, but I don't want to. If this is so important that mm-hmm. I don't give false mm-hmm. information. So okay, sure. So in the meantime, for people that are listening, um, how how can they, you know, sort of, you know, like because the show is getting ready in, it's like, oh, I mean, they can get in touch with me and I could let them know. But in the meantime, if they want to like on. check check a website or check something, mm-hmm. okay, hold on, let me let me pull up. Sure. I'm going to give. All right, maybe Zeph, you want to get another poem while I'm doing. Oh yeah, that'll work. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I think I'm there. Wait, hold on here. All righty. I'm sorry for the delay. That's okay. Uh oh. And all over. All right, I lost my. Almost there. Bear with me. Here we go. All right, all right. So in the meantime, I'm going to say again, the address is 459 West MacArthur. And here we go. Hold on. I'm going to, I found it now. And that's today from 4 to 6. And it's um, at the um, intersection of West MacArthur and Telegraph. Okay. So the... um, Here's a website. Okay. See, am I getting the right one here? Mm-hmm. It's um, www. Oh, no, no. Yeah, here it is. www.abci, that's Apple Boy People, Sam Indian, dot org. So, PO Box, well, you can just go to the website. So, www.abci.org. And the phone number is 510-450-1830. And our president is, our chapter president is Dr. Tony Jackson. So once again, that's www.abci.org. Phone number is area code 510-450-1830. And Dr. Tony Jackson. Oh, so I was mis I misunderstood. So you are you're the whole western region and, and Tony is still our um our chapter president. Local. Mm-hmm. Local. So so Oh, whoa, I what have, a dynamic team. Whoa. Yeah, I have <laughs> Southern California and then so all of California as well as Colorado. So that's where we have chapters. That is so 
and there's, yeah, so Greater Los Angeles, there's a bunch of chapters. But, yeah, so I'm the mm-hmm. western region. We have the western region, the Midwest, mm-hmm. the east, and the southern region. And we all sit oh. on Dr. Theopia Jackson. We're all her, her board because she's our mm-hmm. new national uh, president. And so okay. each chapter has its own. And, and we're, we're trying to get away from using the word president because it's confusing. So it's more mm-hmm. you're, you're, the, you're more the chair of the local right. chapter. Okay. And so Dr. Jackson is the chair of the Bay Area chapter of the National Association, you know, of, of the Association of Black Psychologists. Is it making sense oh. or did I just confuse it? Did I confuse it? No, more? no, that makes a lot. I'm glad, I'm glad we're, we're clarifying it for me because I didn't have it. I thought, I thought you were, I didn't know there was a Western Regional. I don't know. So who was that person? I never, I never knew that person. I all I know oh, is that was, uh, the the local chair. Hmm? Yeah, Adiba was the the, uh, the I'm I'm uh, taking uh, her, her tenures up, and so Adiba Dedeva oh. was the the uh, Western Region representative. And so oh, I never knew that. Oh, and a southern yes, and so oh, and, um, okay. Don't tell this is a big secret. So don't tell okay. anybody. I know I'm on it. Um, that, but uh, that, uh, they're they're getting ready. They're looking to start a Sacramento chapter because there's oh, a lot of good. folks. They don't have to travel all the way to the Bay Area. So so looking forward to um, also representing um, a Sacramento chapter. Oh, good, good. Yeah, Sacramento. That would be great. Yeah, because they have a lot of mm-hmm. lot of healers. In that area, mm-hmm. and a lot of, and particularly like um, the social workers, um, the clinical social workers, et cetera, they're they're that they have a big, mm-hmm. big, uh, big community down mm-hmm. there. Oh, nice, yeah, nice. So, yeah, when so that mm-hmm. so I I would say that will probably be up and running by probably before 2020 because there there's enough mm-hmm. interest up there, and so yeah, so the western so as a western region rep. I would be responsible for, um, I would represent them to the national body. So basically I'm oh, just cool. the bridge between the local chapter and the national body. And you know that, mm-hmm. so we, Bay Area, we all up in the house because mm-hmm. I'm in Oakland. Um, Dr. The, the president, Dr. Theopia Jackson, she just moved from the Bay Area. She now lives in Washington, but it's like, yeah, we're strongly Oh, represented. you mean Washington State or Washington, oh. D.C.? D.C., D.C. Oh, she is. So she's gone. Washington. Oh. Yes. 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 Uh huh. Yes. She's she's relocated. So yes, but she's oh. still our own. That's still ours, and so she comes all the oh, time. Oh yeah. So that's probably why you oh, realize because wow. she's always coming home. Yeah. So and yeah, then, so, and she's then not, so she's not so she's not a Saybrook uh-huh. anymore. She's still a Saybrook. She's still a Saybrook. Oh, okay. Because you know you don't have mm-hmm. you don't have to. Yeah, she's still a Saybrook. But she she's okay. yeah. So she's still a Saybrook. But yeah. Yeah, but she's so, not at Children's Hospital anymore so yeah. here in Oakland. Right, right. She's not at Children's Hospital anymore. Right, that's correct. That is correct. Oh, wow. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. Okay, well, I'll have well, to see her when here. I... She's can... always here. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, my sister, this has been fun. <laughs> Thank you so yes, much. Yes, it has been. Oh, you're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. I'll send you the link so you can share it with everyone um, near and far. And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to more medicine from you, my my sisters, um, this afternoon yeah. from 4 to 6. It's going to be really awesome. And hopefully this will just be 
you know, injection number one, right? Um, you know, that you'll be coming through to do like a booster, you know, Dr. Uh, you know, Zaytu Kakata. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And it won't be too painful. It'll be love. If it's painful, it's going to be lovingly painful. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Well, you all take good care again, and thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you in a, um, in a little bit this afternoon. All right. Yeah. We'll have you okay. book. You take good care. All righty. <laughs> Peace and blessings. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. (laughs) Yeah. So I am looking for, um, I wanted to play something, something from South Africa, another song. And uh, I was looking for Malaika. I really like that one. Um, Angels, Malaika. Oh, there it is, Malaika. I'm going to play Malaika, and then uh, we're going to rebroadcast the wonderful interview with um, Regina Evans uh, talking about the opening of the um, of her play, uh, 50, 52 Letters, um, this, um, this evening um, at... Uh, at Ubuntu Theater Company, I'm going to look for the address for you, which I'm not finding right now. So I'm going to play the song, and then I will um, give you the details. But, yeah, it's um, – oh, it's at, um, it's at the Flax Building uh, <laughs> near downtown Oakland. Um, I think it's 7, 7, 7? Yeah, 7 p.m. And um, we had a really good conversation with um, with Regina and, um, and Sister Rashida Chase. And um yeah, and also um uh Joyce Gordon Gallery, Joyce Gordon Foundation is uh hosting its um reception tonight from six to eight of the new exhibit which is featuring young people from the ages of five to twenty four. And tomorrow is the um the Oakland Youth Arts Explosion, uh the third annual. And it's a different day. Last year was on Sunday, this year is on Saturday, and that's eleven to six. That's going to be really awesome. All youth entertainers, um, youth entrepreneurs, um, um, other kinds of resources for families. It's going to be a really, really wonderful, wonderful afternoon, morning of of fun. And then tomorrow is also Afro Solo is having its um, uh, music in the park kicking off its season. And that is uh, 1 p.m. That's going to be really nice jazz jazz at uh, Yerbuena Center Gardens. And uh, so that's going to be great. And what else is happening? Um, <laughs> um, Kill Move Paradise continues at, um, at Shotgun Players uh, in Berkeley through August 4th. So it's, it's coming to a close this Sunday, uh, unless it's been extended and I'm not aware of it. And uh, what else? This is just off the top of my head, folks. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, you don't want to miss uh, checking out um, Future IDs at Alcatraz. Um, that's a really powerful art exhibit um, looking at um, sort of uh, the carceral system, people that have uh, moved on uh, who have been released and who are now in the community, and, and also um, – Looking at those who um, are still there, and um, and what it means, 
and and that ID um, that people have that labels them as um, a commodity. So reclaiming that, so the naming oneself. You know, we're talking about language here. We're talking about the power of words and the energy that they carry. So here is uh, Soweto Gospel Choir, Malaika, and again, we're going to be rebroadcasting the uh, interview with uh, Regina Evans and Rashida Chase. Malaika
That was uh, Soweto Gospel Choir singing Malaika. And uh, 52 Letters, again, uh, is August 2nd tonight through the 25th, um, uh, written and performed by Regina Evans, vocals by Rashida Chase. And um, this is an award-winning performance production highlighting the local realities of human trafficking. And um, uh, California, as we mentioned in the interview, is is the United States' most affected by human trafficking, and Oakland is a national hub for underage sex trafficking. In 52 Letters, which is a winner of the Best San Francisco Fringe Festival in 2013, Oakland artist and activist Regina Evans combines poetry and Negro spirituals into a deeply moving experience that brings to light the realities of young Americans caught uh, in modern-day slavery. 52 Letters is not a traditional play. It is a ritual of truth, a ceremony of awareness, a prayer of activation on behalf of the beloved children caught in sex trafficking. They are somebody's baby, they are somebody's child, and they are ours to love. And uh, there's a heart advisory. Uh, 52 Letters carries waves of grief and sorrow. Please be attentive to your heart. Consider. And uh, on the website, UbuntuTheaterProject.com, U-B-U-N-T-U-T-H-E-A-T-E-R Project, P-R-O-J-E-T-C.com. You can listen to um, uh, Regina Evans, the playwright, uh, giving uh, a little talk about the work. And each uh, evening there's going to be a post-show conversation as well as um, a little food. And so tonight, Nola Brantley, um, it's going to be um, the person talking, and she has uh, a book, Nola Brantley Speaks. And uh, and then Sunday, this Sunday, uh, Sharon uh, Danoa, uh, South Bay Coalition to End Human Trafficking, is going to be the guest, and as well as Dr. Ayodele Nzinga. She's a founder, Black Arts Movement Business District Community Development Corporation and creative director for the Lower Bottom Players and a frequent guest uh, on these airwaves. And then next week, August 9th, on Friday, uh, Nisia DeLovely uh, De presents, uh, is going to be the, the guest speaker. And Nisia has been our guest on the air a number of times. She's a wonderful poet and also a um, uh, survivor of, 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 of traumas. And uh, she writes about it really beautifully in in her her work. Um, on Saturday, August tenth, there's going to be Sarai um, Mazarikos. Uh, she's got Shade S H A D E movement. Um, and then Sunday the eleventh, Regina Evans, our Art Meets Social Justice talk back. And and then there's just like a long list. And um, so I just want to. Um, you know, let people know that you can go to the website, um, UbuntuTheaterProject.com, to see who is going to be speaking, and maybe you might want to go back. And these uh, folks are also sponsors of of the um, uh, of the uh, the pr- productions. Some of them are. Naturally, I think they all are. And then there's some other people that are sponsors that are not listed. And I wanted to just basically read the bio. For um, um, for uh, Regina and uh, Rashida, because I didn't get a chance to do it on the air on 
on Wednesday when they were live. So Regina Evans is an Oakland native and the owner of Regina's Door, an Oakland-based social enterprise vintage clothing store, which operates as a creative arts healing and sanctuary space for survivors of sex trafficking. Regina's Door was named 2015 Social Change Maker, Oakland Indie Awards, 2016 Nancy's Hero, Alameda County District Attorney, Nancy O'Malley's, and received a 2017 Oakland City Council commendation in celebration of Small Business Week. As a modern-day abolitionist, Ms. Evans is a member of the AC United Council and the CSEC Program Council uh, for slash Claire's House Safe House Catholic Charities. Uh, she was honored to be a speaker and delegate at, delegate at the 2017 United Nations 61st Commission on the Status of Women. Ms. Evans is an award-winning social justice poet, playwright, costumer, and performer. Her stage play, 52 Letters, which brings awareness to the fight against modern-day slavery, was honored, as we already mentioned, as the Best of San Francisco Fringe Festival in 2013, and I was in the audience at that particular one of those performances, and she continues to perform her play throughout California. We talk about that in the show you're going to be listening to. Ms. Evans is the creative director and costumer for Ceremony, a theatrical ritual troupe bringing healing to survivors of sex trafficking and a member of House Full of Black Women, a multi-site performance ritual project that addresses the displacement, well-being, and sex trafficking of black girls and women. And we had members of House Full on our show earlier this year, uh, was it last year? <laughs> Might have been last year. Um, when um House Full was, was doing um uh a uh black women sleeping uh installation and an exhibit at um uh Amara um um uh gosh, I can draw the blank on how to pronounce the name without seeing it. Um gallery. Um Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I might have to come back to you on that. And she is honored to be a board member for Gritty City Repertory Youth Theater. And you can see her work as um, as a wardrobe um, uh, designer uh, in many of, of local plays. And, and at the um, uh, Marin uh, Shakespeare uh, Company, she is going to be doing the uh, costume. She's going to be doing the uh, costume design for their, um, I think their, their um, is it Midsummer Night's um, Dream? Um, yeah, I think that's that's the one that she's going to be um, doing the costume design for. Um, as an Oakland an Oakland native, vocalist and culture and wellness advocate, Rashida Chase has always sought ways to integrate um, instead of compartmentalize her seemingly disparate passions and believes that music is a healing force and a unifier of people. She recognizes the power of inspiration and creativity that music holds and strives to create experiences that soothe, heal, and inspire her audiences to tap into that power and realize their full selves. Um, and, uh, God, I'm feeling so bad <laughs> that um, I can't remember the name of let me see. Let me look up House Full of Black Women and tell you the name of the gallery um, real quickly. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. Deep Water Dance. Let's see. Uh, let's see. 
Hustle of the Black Woman, Deep Water Dance Theater. That's their website. And, um, yeah, they do some really, really wonderful work. Um, let's see. Collaborators. Um, <laughs> let's see. Calendar. Because yeah, one of the um, one of the collaborators is um, Ellen Sebastian Chang, and um, and uh, <laughs> Rashida Rashida speaks about her. Let's see. Um, <laughs> um, oh darn! I don't see her name here. Hmm. Composers, writers, poets, lighting, photographers. Oh, darn. I don't see her name here. Oh, shoot. Okay. Um, I am looking and I can't find it. Um, oh, Ekendayo. Yeah, yeah. Ashara Ekendayo. That's her name. Sorry, Ashari, it came to me eventually. <laughs> so anyway, alrighty. So we are going to um, to play this this um, this pre-recorded uh, this show from the archives Wednesday with um, Regina Evans and Rashida and um, and also I have on there which I don't think we're going to get to because I've been talking too long. Uh, <laughs> um, I uh, also um, um, have. Um, Antoine Hunter um, talking about uh, his uh, Urban Jazz Dance Company's presentation of the Bay Area International Dance Festival. It's a it's a pre-recorded interview from another year, and and it's coming up next week, August 9th through 11th um, at Dance Mission um, Theater again, and it's Friday through Saturday. Next Friday through Saturday, 7:30 p.m. and Sunday at two. Um, of the uh, Bay Area International Deaf Dance Festival, and it is always such a treat. And it's, uh, again, um, hosted by Antoine Hunter's company, uh, Real Urban Jazz Dance Company, and you can visit there. For more information, realurbanjazzdance.com. Good. 
Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Ashi Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And so we should take a breath, pause, exercise our options, and know that we have our ancestors with us to help us make those steps which are in our best interest, not in the interest of others. Tony Morrison pieces that I am directed by Timothy Greenfield Sanders is a remarkable, wonderful film. And we are going to rebroadcast an interview we had with the director shortly, but I'm going to just give you a little, read a little bit of some of the reflections that I've had uh, about the film. And the film is currently playing in the Bay Area at the Albany Twin. So um want to catch it on the big screen. It is going to be uh, part of the American Masters series on KQED eventually. I'm not sure when. Um, so you'll be able to catch it on television, but you want to see it in the theater. Um, it's a film we've all been waiting for, even if we didn't know we were holding a collective breath beyond hope that it would someday be made with an all-star lineup of guests who rave and even weep over a life well-crafted like the characters that haunt and implicate a gene pool too deep to tread lightly. Timothy Greenfield Sanders' Tony Morrison pieces that I am, 2019, 120 Minutes is that work. The director shares an intimacy on screen with an artist, noble laureate, mother, daddy's girl, whom we know from the bluest eye, Sula, Song of Solomon, and Beloved to Paradise, A Mercy, and A Mercy. Some like Angela Davis, Oprah Winfrey, Walter Mosley, Sonia Sanchez, and her editor, um, Robert Adams, uh, Godlib, know her as friends. In a work that is as lovely a cinematic journey as it is a pleasure to listen to and discover more about this very private yet public figure, this may be a work Greenfield Sanders cannot top. Morrison's mother's family moved from Greenville, Alabama, to Lorraine, Ohio, where Morrison was later born. Her dad grew up in Catters, Cartersville, Georgia. Morrison speaks of her community as a mixed-race town where all the kids played together and the families got along. The second eldest of four, she spoke of going to Howard University and then Princeton, so she could have fun, perhaps too much fun, away from her mother's watchful eye. The author's journey to New York, where she was hired at by Random House as a site, is a site mere words cannot convey. Imagine a self-possessed Morrison with a pipe, the only woman in, a, in photos with white male colleagues that speaks volumes about Morrison's autonomy and self-assurance. In one screen, in one scene, she learns that women editors are making less than their male counterparts. And the next, she tells her supervisor, I'm head of household just like you. Her pay is made equitable immediately. This example of Morrison's non-sexist or racial nonsense is repeated often in pieces that I am. An epic life, which makes this film even more remarkable, is the use of fine art to illustrate the journey from Jacob Lawrence's migration series to Charles White, Lorna Simpson, 
and Hank Willis Thomas. The work explores a writer's life and the reciprocal nature of this medium. Yeah, this is a really, really wonderful work that I highly recommend. And so I am going to play the, um, the really wonderful um, trailer, and then we'll jump right into the interview uh, with the director. So hold tight. And, and while you're waiting, I want to make sure that everyone knows about uh, uh, Joyce Gordon uh, Gallery Foundation is having its third annual um, Oakland Youth um, Arts Explosion on Saturday. And uh, the streets are going to be blocked off um, on Harrison, I believe. And it's going to be really, really wonderful to watch, so you don't want to miss that. So here is uh, the trailer, and we're going to jump right into the interview with uh, Timothy Greenfield Saunders. My grandfather bragged all the time that he had read the Bible, and it was illegal in his life to read. Ultimately, I knew that words have power. I wanted as many people who could hear my voice to understand the importance of her work. Get people to trust that, oh, this is something safe, and then, bam, hit them with Toni Morrison. One of the early reviews says she's got a great talent. One day, she won't limit it to only writing about black people. Like, really, it's limiting for her to write about black people? People began to buy Toni Morrison, and then we began to teach her, and as a consequence, they had to pay attention. You know, you're sick unto death of being labeled a black writer. I prefer it. Oh, I thought you probably oh, were no. tired of it. Well, I'm tired of people asking the question. Oh, oh yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know where this woman's energy came from to raise two kids, to bring other people of color to the party, and also write these novels. Tony was an editor at Random House. Navigating a white male world was not threatening. It wasn't even interesting. I was more interesting than they were. And I wasn't afraid to show it. Suddenly, the canon wasn't the private property of white male writers. I thrown this book across the room and then walked down the steps laughing. Like, you read Tony and you cry, but you gotta laugh. Texas Bureau of Corrections banned Paradise because it might incite a riot. And I thought, how powerful is that? <laughs> when Toni Morrison published Beloved, it was an extraordinary turning point. We can never think about slavery in the same way. A friend of mine called me up early in the morning and said, Tony, you won the Nobel Prize. And I remember holding his phone thinking, she must be drunk. Toni Morrison's work shows us through pain all the myriad ways we can come to love. That is what she does, with some words on a page. Hey, Timothy, how are you? I'm good. I think I was supposed to call you a Right around now, is that right? That's right. Yeah, I was um, looking for a place in my apartment that was quiet. <laughs> I, I noticed <laughs> that they're, they're doing some work upstairs. It's like, oh, no, this is not good. They didn't check with me first. 
Oh, man, your film is so marvelous. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. it is. It's such a tribute, long overdue to this fabulous woman. Long overdue. I agree with you. And yeah. I'm so happy that, wow, it took you 40 years, right? <laughs> I mean, like, really? Yeah, 38. I mean, I met Tony in 1981. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm rounding yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is the 30th, 38th year. Mm-hmm. That's right. Amazing, right? Yeah, uh, totally amazing. And and I was just thinking as I was reading this really marvelous um, interview um, in the press package that, um, I don't know, like, were you put on this planet to do this? Because, I mean, the way that um, – you know, it's sort of like, you know, how you met her and, and, and you know, in, in the studio and you did such a great job on capturing her image. And, you know, for people of African descent, you know, that spiritual thing around spirit living right, in image right. and for you to be able to like, so I'm thinking, wow, and all, and all those different various shots, that's your work. That's your skills. It's, uh, Tony calls it strange things. Ah. Sometimes they sometimes they happen. <laughs> Strange things that are unexplained. I guess maybe I was put here to do this film. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's just it's just remarkable. And then I was wondering. I mean, her. You know the way you you tell this great story, and you know, and I'm wondering about the title because there are so many aspects of her life that you could have zeroed in on. Tone. You know, like, but. But this is the story that you all tell. Well, the, you know, the title is a line from Beloved. Mm-hmm. And we were searching, really, for a subtitle. Um, and when I saw that, it, it, it all came together kind of perfectly because it's, it, it, it relates to Nicolene Thomas's wonderful opening where the pieces of Tony come together. It relates to the way Tony writes in that she is, you know, and it comes in, it's not linear. She comes from many different directions and it, it also relates to the concept of the film, which is that these are the pieces of Tony Morrison, the mother, the single mother, the, the editor, you know, the, the teacher, and of course the great writer, the Nobel winner. Right, right. That's so true. You know, I think I'm gonna have to go sit in my car. Um, <laughs> yeah, can can um. I can hear you perfectly, but oh, by the way, you sound oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, can you? Oh, I do. Oh, super, super. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. All right, because they're they're hammering upstairs. I don't know. Do you... I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing any of that. You've got oh. Noise canceling something or other. It's working. Oh. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, super. Well, then um, I'll stay here then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so I was just sort of like um, sort of jotting down questions. I I don't know. It was as I was watching the film um, last week, I, um, I just took so many notes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, well, it's, it's, you know, it's a really uh, dense film in that sense. Mm-hmm. There's so much to think about. You know, we we um, kind of lull you in because Tony ha- is so lo- loving, really, in the film. You know, you love her. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you start to watch it, all of a sudden there's so many things to think about. 
Right. Yes, there are. There are. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me about, you know, the tour, Toni Morrison that you know and um, and what pieces of her didn't make it into the film because, you know, we – I just love the, the – uh, uh, learning about her family and and their moving, you know, have her mother, right. you know, having to pick up the girls and and move, you know, to right. Ohio, right? Uh, the, right. Her, grand, her grandmother, yeah. Her, her grandmother. grandmother, right, right, yeah. yeah. And then her father sounds so powerful, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those yeah. stories are like such so riveting, yeah. You know, she she wonderfully kind of contrasts her parents had a very vivid sense of their personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in the film she says, my mother t- looked at each person as an individual and she, she didn't look at color or anything. She just looked at them as like, you know, she, who they were and if they were a good person or not really. And her father was very, very strident and different, you know, but for good reason. I mean, he had come from some you know, place of horror and seen terrible things. Right, right. So definitely. And then I wonder if because her father was such a strong presence in her life and and I, you know, love the part, you know, where um, you know, she she talks about or you narrate how um what happened when her father passed and 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 that effect on her life. I was wondering um it's not stated, but I wonder if this is why she was able to function in such a male-dominated. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's a very, yeah, it's a very interesting point you bring up, and I it doesn't you know it's not specified in the film, but I know from knowing her and from hearing her talk that her father was a tremendous influence on her, and mm-hmm. also he believed in her. And I think from a very, very early age, her father uh, adored her, you know, and realized how brilliant she was. I think this was a man who really knew, you know, you kind of know which when your children are special in some way that they're exceptional. I think he knew she was exceptional. Uh, and And I think that probably stayed with her her whole life, that this strength that she got early on from him. Right, right, yeah. Um, you're, I'm happy you brought that up. Thank you. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, because, I mean, here's this woman smoking a pipe, and she's the only woman, and all these men, and, and, and some people might be like, whoa, all these powerful white men, you know, aren't you, like, lucky? And it was like, no, they're lucky to have me. <laughs> yeah, I was more interested than they were, she said. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and she just really holds her own and and claims her space and doesn't right. compromise. I mean, I love it, you know, that she was not about to take less pay, you know, for the same right. job. Yeah, I think all, all of the lessons that we try and teach today mm-hmm. for women and for people – to kind of have their own uh, confidence where they are and to believe in themselves. She was she was a pioneer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was doing that when it was really hard. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a single mother of two, you know, yeah, two yeah. two black two black boys. That's like wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So um, how um, – I, I know you've been asked this question, so I'm going to let you, you, say, you answer it um, uh, again. I, I was thinking about um, um, how, how you, um, you frame, um, you know, your subjects, um, you know, with your camera, um, both your still camera yes. and your um, – uh, and your uh, your other your other lens um, film camera the yeah, film camera yeah. right right exactly yeah. and it's really intentional um, you know the way you shoot and I was thinking about the um, uh, the photographer whose whose name escapes me right now who um, who did the portraits in I Dream a World uh, camera uh, calendar I, I know the I know, yes I know the I know the book yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and he and he said when he was um when the when he was uh on tour with the exhibit and the calendar um at the Oakland Museum, you know that he um you know he had his subjects he was looking up to them, you know, um mm-hmm. uh as opposed to down. And and mm-hmm. um and and your your camera is really intentional as well. And um and and I think um there's also a philosophical intent that comes through in the way you shoot um, both um, Morrison as well as, you know, the people that are, um, you know, speaking about her. And I was wondering if you could talk about, about positioning and, and, mm-hmm. and how that, and also around sort of like power dynamics within. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I'm a kind of hyphenate. I'm a photographer and a filmmaker. Yes. And my photography is distinctive. I have a look that is really a simple backdrop and one light and, uh, and a direct-to-camera gaze. And, you know, that is all purposeful because what I'm trying to do is focus on the person, not on my fancy lighting or not on some environment that they're in. But I'm trying to say, look at th- look at this person here and 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 look into his or her eyes. That's, that's kind of my Attention. And I translate that look into film so that when you're looking at these interviews, you're getting the, the kind of the beauty of my portrait lighting, but you're really focusing on that person. And what I, what I tried to do in this film was that you notice Tony is the only one who's talking directly to camera. The others are talking off camera. They're, they're talking about her, but she's talking to us. And that was uh, very, very conscious on my part. It was something I've never seen in a documentary where you combine those two. You either decide one way or the other, but you don't do both. But I felt that by letting Tony be the only one talking to camera, it also gives her agency and it makes it so it's Tony's story. She's the one looking at us. It, it, It becomes overwhelmingly clear that she's telling the story. Right. Yeah, yeah, it is really clear. It you know, it looks the whole work looks like she is directing it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, which as a white male director, I'm very conscious of, you know, with my white male gaze and how I, you know, I surrounded myself with people who were able to kind of bring voices to the pr- production to the film. And at the same time, it you know making sure that by shooting it the way I did, Tony is really telling her story. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 You you um uh you write um 
and you talk about um your um your film series on identity, the black list, the Latino right, list, right. the trans list. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I was just wondering how like this film is like a culmination of that move and, you know, that that series and like what could be after this? <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, gosh, at the moment I'm not even thinking about what what to do next. But when you look at this film and you see the 12 people in it, yeah, I mean they all deserve all those other people deserve documentaries. Sonia Sanchez, my goodness, uh, what a story that is, and and Walter Mosley and and Angela Davis and you know Marilyn Griffin. All these people are remarkable. So you know, there's 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 so many great stories out there to tell, but the Tony one was very personal to me because she's been such an influence on all of our lives, but on my life in particular. She, you know, she was the one that got the blacklist idea. Uh, she really, it morphed from an idea that she had, so uh, you know, I give her credit for, for that whole series, really. It was based on an idea that Tony had. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could kind of imagine um, just what it was like, you know, for you to do all of your setup and like having no assistance, you know, at this first, first shoot. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Someone said to me recently, they said, "Do you remember, you know, what she was like back then?" Because it's, it's, you know, a hell of a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I started thinking about it, and I said, I remember how confident she was as mm-hmm. a person, and that when you're a photographer, you're looking at the subject, you're trying to read the subject and feel like, is this person nervous? Do I make need to make him or her feel better? What do I need to do to uh, to to get trust from the subject? Mm-hmm. And I remember with Tony, she she walked in. Looking at Price, she was confident. She was, you know, she was clearly like, "Here we are, let's do it." You know, it was, it was very, uh, it was remarkable. I remember that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other aspect, there are so many. Um, um, is the art? Oh my gosh! Like oh my all God, this beautiful yeah. art. Yeah. You're like, okay, so yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> and I, and then I just think about, you know, like. I recognize, you know, Charles White, Carol right. Walker, Carrie James Marshall, Jacob Lawrence. I'm like, right. and Jacob Lawrence is like, you know, the migration series when her family's moving. I'm like, wow, this yeah. is so great. The illustration, like, yeah. let the artist yeah. illustrate this 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 story. Well, it's just so beautiful. Before. You know, I'd never seen it in a film. Ah. It's, I, I always thought, like, why aren't we cutting to painting sometimes? Mm-hmm. It always mm-hmm. cut to a photo. Right. And and I think that when you that what we did here was so special because it brought twenty something African American artists work into the film, which was a, which was wonderful. But it also excuse me, it also was about a feeling that these images give, not just illustration, but they were giving you a mood and an understanding of what was being said. So when we when Farrah Griffin is saying, you know, there's a whole world out there that white people don't even know about, and we cut to the Carrie James Marshall pastimes painting. What could be a better image, you know, than that, that painting? It's just flawless, 
expertise in filmmaking, in my, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, but I, but it was very, it was fun to do that, to think like, and I, and I, I have a long history, you know, in the art world. I photographed for 20 years the art world, and I, I, oh, I have okay. seven, I have 700 of artists and art dealers and critics of the art world. I have. 700 portraits at the Museum of Modern Art oh. in their collection. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very big part of my life, and I studied art history at Columbia, so okay. I know a lot about art, and mm. I know a lot of artists, and many of them in the film are friends of mine, you know, uh, Kara Walker and mm -hmm. Lorna Simpson, and I actually photographed Dick, Dick of Lawrence oh. uh, before, he, before he died. Oh, and, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh. So, so, you know, I have a kind of understanding of, of, of art and art history. And it, it really became a, a <clears throat> important part of the film. And it's why we had Micheline Thomas there, you know, as well. Yeah, tell me about Micheline Thomas, um, uh, the collage. Um, but, yeah, just tell me about well, Micheline Thomas in general. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, Micheline Thomas is a very, very important contemporary artist, and I was—I she's one of the one of the artists I did not know personally, and I pulled an Oprah. You know, I just found her phone number somehow, and I called her, <laughs> and uh, I explained what we were doing, and she said, "I'm in." You know, that quickly, and I think that was the reaction of almost everyone I reached out to. Um, Really, it was everyone felt that way about Tony, and and Nicolene is is known for her collage work. So I thought there was a way for her to do some kind of piece for the opening based on my photographs. We gave her, oh gosh, you know, hundreds of images to play with, and all, every photo I'd taken of Tony, and just said, you know, go to town on this. And four months later, <laughs> we were about to. Show the uh, send the film to Sundance to try and get into the festival, and I called her and I said I need something really next by next week, and it, you know she sent us a marvelous piece that we finessed into that opening that you see. Mm, right, right, yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. I remember um, um, when uh, Toni Morrison's son passed, um, you know Slade and. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, the the film, you know, is is both personal and public, you know, yeah. uh, in in the way that it um, that is choreographed, so to speak, and and I just love hearing from her friends because you could say that the people that are talking about her are really like they are like they're groupies, but they're also her friends. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Oprah is just so dramatic. And Sonia Sanchez, yeah. you know, when she starts crying, I start crying. It's like, oh, oh my God. Okay. And then Angela yeah. Davis, yeah. like, who knew that Toni Morrison yeah. was the reason why we have her autobiography at 28? Like, we think yeah. Angela yeah. Davis was really 28 at one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at what she was doing at 28. And then Muhammad Ali, oh, my oh, yeah. goodness. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, and Walter Mosley. I mean, they're all just sitting around at their kitchen table just, just 
just sort of like just chopping it up, as they say. It is so <laughs> special. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, they're, like what you said, they're kind of Toni Morrison groupies, but they're also her friends. You know, yes, very, yes. Very, they they understand the, 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 I think it was Paula Griffin said that about Tony, she means so much to us. Mm, yes. You know, yes. and I love that line. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And it was so funny, you know, to see my um uh my friend, uh, my daughter's um uh colleague, they went to a California College of Arts and Crafts together. He got a master's, my daughter got a, a BFA. Um, Hank Willis Thomas. I'm like, Hank, you are oh, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His mother is a friend of mine. Deborah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Deborah's wonderful. Prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know her work, and yeah, she's fabulous. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that piece of his, too. And, you know, isn't that sort of perfectly placed as well, mm-hmm. that, that kind of image? I mean, what else would you go to? That's just a divine piece of art to, to shoot there, to mm-hmm. show there. Right, right, yeah. And then, you know, Elizabeth Catlett. I mean, like, you know, like you got like yeah. a who's who. I mean, some people are making their appearances you know, as spiritual beings. That's right. And and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely, you know, their their presence is like an ashe to to their work and their spirit and what they've done for our, our people. Yeah. Um right. yeah. but it's also an ashe to Morrison, like, you know, tipping their hat. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It is and it, and it was intentional and I'm hopeful you're saying that you know, I've watched the film many times with audiences, and mm. certain audiences just really get it. And there's always someone in there who's whispering under her breath or his breath. It's always like Elizabeth Catlett, Charles uh-huh. White. You know, <laughs> the names of, 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 you know, all the art, you know. Carrie mm-hmm. James Marshall. Or something like that. And, and it's, it, I love, I love that when that happens because you know, it, it's they're part of the dialectic. These these images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how 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 long you know did it take you to pull it all together? I mean, of course, thirty eight years. But um, <laughs> this particular, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really about five years. Okay. When I first talked to Tony and mm. asked her if she would consider it, and and she didn't say no, which was a good sign. Right. And and then uh, finding the funding for it, and you know assembling the team and and choosing the people to be in it and and then you know really two years of editing it's an enormous amount of work researching mm-hmm. and yeah. finding all of this material in, in you know in high resolution and getting the licenses for it all of that is just a tremendous amount of work mhm yeah yeah so um how did you decide because i'm sure everyone you asked to talk about, uh, you know, Miss Morrison probably said yes. So how did you end up with the select group of people? And um, and and I, I was reading, you know, that you had a Peter Sellers, um, really yeah. wonderful, um, yeah. yeah. And and um, when they when they did a tour with with that particular work, um, um, they they did a um, a symposia at uh UC Berkeley and and uh and Tony Morrison was he was coming through through Skype and and then Sellers wow. was in the, he was there as well as the um uh the African artist whose name is escaping me right now 
Ah, I can't kick myself. Yeah, I know who you mean. The the the, the lead of it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was very careful not. I tried to to not interview anyone who wouldn't make it into the film. Oh. I think it's I think it's unfair to just interview lots of people and they give you their time and it's they, their energy. Peter, I I feel such guilt for because. We have a fabulous piece on Shakespeare and Tony with Peter Sellers, and we pulled it because it was an easy seven minutes to pull out of the film. And I have it for the DVD extras and stuff. But, you know, uh, I tried to really just invite people who I knew I, I would include in the film in some way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, Desdemona, that was the name of it. I remember that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was really yeah. amazing. And I was so excited, you know, when I thought she was going to be in the house. Because she, yeah. she had come to the Bay Area because she's a friend of um, of the uh, Marcus Brooks founders um, here. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and oh, so wow. she would come and do fundraisers for them. Because um, wow. I think it's, yeah, I think it's the oldest black bookstore here in, in Northern California. Um, right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, wow. I was trying to find... Oh, Rokia Traore, that's her name. That's right. That's yeah, from Mali. Yeah, this, right, it was really, right. really phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, this this you know, film is... And, 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 and it's interesting, just as an aside, in that little seven-minute piece, yes. we had asked many of the people who sat for us what their favorite Morrison book was, or ah. piece by Morrison. Yes. And Angela Davis said, Testimony. Ah. And isn't that fascinating? Because, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, she said that when she saw the production, it was the most moving thing she'd ever seen in her whole life. Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah. that's, that's in the DVD extra. That, you know, it was, I wish we could have put it in the film. But there is so much that we could, that other stuff that we had that we had to make decisions. You know, as a director, you got to say, this is the length it's going to be. and. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the way it's going to be structured, and I don't think there's room for that mm-hmm. or this, this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hard it's a hard uh, it's hard to make those choices. Yeah, yeah, and you know this this particular film, you know the um, the real the classic with with James um, Baldwin, you know that film that starts right, with right. his funeral, and yeah. um, and then we think about the more recent film on Maya Angelou. Um, that's such a classic, and this film is like one of those classics before it even hits. I, <laughs> it's just like I, I love, I love hearing that. I have to tell you, I have to leave because I'm in a corner oh, and I'm okay. in a place where I have to do a radio interview. Oh, sure, so no problem. I have, to, I have to get off, but I love talking to you. You really got the film, and you, uh, you, your, your knowledge, your background knowledge of all this other stuff is intense. So I'm very impressed, and, and I thank you for doing this. Oh, you're quite welcome, and thank you for making this film, and I'm looking forward to seeing it in the cinema when it opens on the 28th and seeing it wonderful. as a part of American Masters, you know, that that, yeah. that wonderful series that now your film is going to be one of its members of the canon. Congratulations. That's right. Thank you very much. And we hope people will go to the movies to see it because it really is an experience to see it in theaters. You know, it, it's special that way. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, I'm going to get yeah. a party together. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the okay. day. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, well, that was the uh, director of the wonderful film 
Toni Morrison's Pieces That I Am. And as I mentioned, you can uh, still see the film um, in the East Bay. It's at Albany Twin uh, in Albany. So you don't want to miss it. And um, Antoine Hunter's uh, Deaf um, Poetry, no, Deaf Poetry, sorry. Uh, Deaf Dance Festival is coming up in a about a week, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, um, at Dance Mission in San Francisco. And I had him on a number of times in a lot of different iterations uh, talking about the festival. And I've got, I'm not exactly certain, I've got like these different um, clips, and I'm not sure which one is which. <laughs> so I'm going to start um, a conversation with him um, when he was a part of the um, uh, the ethnic dance festival. Hmm, I'm trying to think. Maybe I should try the uh, this other. Well, let me let me just see what this is. I'm not sure because um, we don't have 30 minutes. But this says it's about 30 minutes long. Let's see. The other is an hour from the uh, ethnic dance festival, the 30 35th annual. That was um, oh, that was six years ago that I talked to him about that. So let's see. Um, so, so Antoine um, Hunter, tell us about your second annual um, festival, um, uh, dance performances of um, <laughs> deaf and hearing impaired um, artists and choreographers. Yeah, um, the Bay Deaf Dance Festival, wow, just the second annual, the theme this year called Deaf Louder, basically we're trying to express our culture using art to be louder about the society that we live in and about uh, our experience about being deaf, you know. We have people of all coming from all over the world, um, artists that speak different languages, like Buddhist sign language, American sign language, India sign language, and we're sharing our own culture within deaf culture, you know. But this dance festival is not only for deaf, but poet, ASL singer, rapper, comedian, actor, and so many advocates and educators will be coming down. You know, I'm just so excited because we've got London people in L.A., D.C., you know, happening all in Dance Mission Theater, you know, I guess eight through the town. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll, like, slow it down a little bit, and you can maybe give us some of the details about, you know, specifically <laughs> some of the, the the people that you're featuring. Are any of the artists um, uh, ones that were featured in last year's um, performance, or, or are they all new? Mm -hmm. We have uh, maybe a few that are returning, like um, uh, James Taylor from Silent Mob. It's the Deaf Rapper. He'll be coming back. Mm -hmm. And we have this one group, uh, Aaliyah Cotton, who is Coda. Herself is not completely deaf, but her parents are deaf. Mm -hmm. And Coda is children of a deaf adult, you know. And for... Uh, the reason I accepted them because they is they are a part of their culture. They can't help it but to live the life of their people, even though they can hear. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's just they adopt everything that we have. They're extra sensitive, just as we are as well. Mm -hmm. However, they include everything and 
to their life. So they'll be performing. She will be doing like tap dancing and hip hop. So that would be wonderful to see her because she got so inspired from last year to push her show and her dancing up another level. So we do have a few people coming back, but a lot of stars this time mm-hmm. are coming. Just like Fred Bain, he'll be coming back. Mm-hmm. He came in the Bay Area uh, 2011, and he's definitely ready to come back. Yeah. Fred is from um, yes. Washington. Is that the area he's from, Washington, D.C.? Yes, he's, he's from Washington, D.C., he is the director of National Deaf Dance Theater at Wild Dapper. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, and then um, the, uh, I'm trying to think, um, Joey Antonio, Antonio, where is he from? Oh, Joey Antonio, he's from Los Angeles, and he was on MTV, the best crew. He was one of the secret weapons to use. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he'll be back doing hip hop and bread dance. Mm. He's taking it to another level as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Rosa, Rosa Lee, um, where is she from? Rosa Lee, she's all around. She's right now registered in uh, the barrier. Mm-hmm. She used a lot of uh, videos uh, in a theater in Los Angeles, New York. She's very well in the barrier, also very advocate for um, deaf education. Mm. So she's really wonderful. She'll be doing uh, a little acting and dancing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is every evening different? August 8th through 10th, like August 8th is a different show from August 9th, or can people see everyone in each night? Well, August 8th to the 9th, yes, we start at 8 p.m., and that's uh, a little later, so it's not going to be the same program. However, Sunday at 4 p.m. at Family Man Team, I wanted to get the kids involved, so I made it a little bit lighter, and that will be a different program because we have some deaf children dancing with Aaliyah Cotton. And uh, that's going to be definitely fun to see. Mm. Wow. So so if people want to see the children, like, for instance, um, your um, your daughter, um, she's a, let's see, does she do ASL and sing? Is that what your daughter, Tonique, is going to be doing, Tonique Hunter? Well, Tonique Hunter this year, Unfortunately, we're going to miss her. Oh. She has some big things to perform. We're going to definitely miss her. She was trying to make it happen uh, to come out here. But uh, it was, she definitely wanted to send her love because last year was her first big performance to be in a big crowd. Mm. You know, she was playing it and at the time. So she was definitely excited to come. Uh, um but we won't be able to see her this year, but she's still our love. Oh, okay. And so where where uh, does Tonique live? Where is she uh, living presently? She's in the Bay Area, in oh. the Bay Area. But also she's um, up 
uh, up north state uh, doing Dep Camp oh. and trying to be a role model for young uh, children who are deaf as well. Nice. So trying to finish up with the summer. Oh, nice, nice. And then I noticed that um, uh, that Joy Elaine uh, is going to be performing. Wonderful poet. Yes, yes, Joy. Oh, yeah, she won third place for Oakland Got Talent. She's definitely magnificent. She will be doing her her thing as well. Um, she wrote two, I believe, two new poems. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see what that is because she's always shocking me. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And so, who are who are the Coda Brothers? 